0: Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.
1: Open the pod bay doors, Hal.
2: Hello, everybody listening out on YouTube, on Twitter Spaces, in the multiverse, in the metaverse. I think this is quite, uh, quite fun to do. We should take advantage of all the good technology and bring together good friends and people of goodwill and good faith. And so with that in mind, I want to close out the month of December, the year that was 2021, with, a, uh, with one of my best friends. I won't say oldest friends. I will say one of my best looking friends. Uh, and that is the way he needs to be addressed. And that is, of course, Dr. Eric Weinstein. Let me bring him in over here. How are you, sir? You are now- Brian, good to be with you. It's great to be with you. And we have a lot of people watching all over the universe. And I wanted to uh, first kind of give you uh, some hearty congratulations because you have had a really a significant year of many accomplishments, and we're gonna get into those accomplishments. Uh, in particular, you have just recently, I noticed, joined the research wing of the uh, so-called Galileo Project, or Project Galileo, led by mutual friend, uh, Professor Avi Loeb, a man who is not shy from controversy. And I wanna ask you, um, what was your decision-making process? Walk me through the process that led to you um, really joining up, joining forces, and partnering with an institution that you don't necessarily have a lot of love uh, for. Well, <laughs> oh, that's not fair. Okay. Uh, okay. So talk, talk I, I, us through I, the process. I,
0: I, yeah. I believe that, um, in essence... Uh, there, there's a story about the, the night I ate a plate full of sautéed mushrooms at Isidore Singer's house because I couldn't figure out how to say uh, that I wasn't an adult to his lovely wife, Rosemary. Um, and I feel like with UFOs, I really, I came to hate the topic while growing up, never took an interest, wasn't a big science fiction person. And then, you know, I, I gradually found that uh, people around me who I thought well of, uh, we're taking this more seriously than I was. And, uh, I found that the ridicule that, uh, that I w- was reflexively doling out for the topic was being met with different sorts of answers by some people.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: should say that there's a subset of UFO land. That's just crazy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but there are, there's been a huge shift. Um, and no matter what this is, anything from psyop to, uh, uh, you know, our future selves are visiting us in the past in, a, in a, a crazy universe that has physics we don't understand yet, whatever it is, it's being taken seriously enough by our Pentagon. It's being taken seriously enough by people in positions um, where they have some sort of security clearance for me to say, I want to take this black box seriously, because I don't know what's in it,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that includes the possibility of a psychological operation, or you know, we're we're trying to come up with a cover story because we've got advanced tech we don't want the our adversaries to know about. But it's completely irresponsible um, to take the position that I was taking at this point. Uh, this is no longer the Loch Ness monster, and then you know you have the problem of like now do I have to take the Loch Ness monster seriously? <laughs> uh, you know, the idea that this is coupled to people who do remote viewing, the whole thing seems very unsavory. And because of the luxurious position I'm in where, um, I trust my relationship, uh, with my employer at a level that I've never trusted an employer before, Mm -hmm. uh, that could end up being, being my undoing. But I think that it's important that people with certain kinds of credentials, um, take this seriously to take a lead, to destigmatize it.
2: I'm also an advisor, an external advisor to Avi Loeb's uh, uh, so-called Project Galileo. And, I, I, you know, if I could have asked uh, uh, Avi to consider one thing before he went ahead with the naming of it, it I always find it perilous when uh, astronomers compare themselves to either you know, Galileo or or Giordano Bruno, all these great uh, astronomers who met untimely fortunes in in one sense or another. Um, I, I find that is not entirely helpful. But on the other hand, what he's trying to do Beyond just the, you know, hopeful avoid the 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 uh, awful end that Galileo had, um, is to use data to investigate phenomena that, if real, would fall under the purview of, uh, of you know, some aspects of the uh, of the standard model of physics. You know, if, uh, if if Galileo is to be taken seriously, hopefully it's not the way he was, you know, uh, threatened with torture. But, uh, but rather that he was using data for the very first time to assay or check, and we'll get into assaying and stuff later. Uh, laws of nature using instruments that he built to, you know, do what he said to do was to make uh, to measure what's measurable and make measurable what is not so. I want to ask you, uh, what do you think is possible to measure that we have not been able to make measurable yet? Are there technologies, or is it just more of the same with optical telescopes, radio telescopes, et cetera? Or do you think it's going to require a technological advance that we're not uh, currently capable of?
1: Well,
0: um, so I keep thinking about the three long-range fields that we've used for telescopy, the photon, the neutrino, and the gravity wave. And... um, I think that if you think about this in terms of known physics, it's really interesting to me to watch our colleagues talk about what is possible and what is impossible, assuming that the theories we have now are not effective theories, but are fundamental theories. Mm -hmm. So a number of people will say things like, well, so-and-so is impossible by the laws of relativity. And you would say, well, it's impossible within relativity. But if you were to try to describe, let's say, Lorentz contraction or time dilation inside of Newtonian physics, you'd have all sorts of surprises in store for you. Same thing with uh, trying to figure out the double-slit experiments from a Newtonian perspective. So in part, we don't know what theories are to come. And I think one of the things that I've come to understand about the whole UFO-UAP controversy is that it's really very different. If you imagine that you are getting your physics from Technology that was constructed by civilizations that you don't know anything about, which is you know what you're talking about in the most optimistic UAP scenario, UFO. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're doing is you're looking at somebody's engineered craft. It's like you're trying to understand radio waves by looking at a radio, rather than looking at radio waves by t- looking at the electromagnetic spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has given this field a very weird feel to it. It means that our aerospace corporations are much more deep in the weeds in what would normally be science than we expect. I think one of the things that I've learned is that our government doesn't trust open scientific culture, that for a brief period of time you could get a bunch of physicists to keep mum more or less out in the desert uh, during World War II, but this is in general not a trusted paradigm. And so in part, what we're doing is we're working with a lot of people who are sort of physics adjacent, like electrical engineers right. or material science people. So maybe some of that is, is uh, physics, but it's not the right neighborhood of physics for the interstellar intergalactic travel uh, part of this. And there is a just a, a dearth of uh, high level physics talent and sort of differential geometric talent who, is, who are looking at this question, because for some reason, um, we don't take it very seriously. Yeah. And quite honestly, I'm very sympathetic with the fact that we are bigoted and don't take it very seriously, because it sounds <laughs> completely goofy. <laughs> right?
2: Right. Yeah. Even the the kind of sh- uh, scene that was shown last night uh, with, um, you know, on, uh, I don't know if it was today or, or something like that, where uh, the uh, the newscaster started off the broadcast with uh, with the X Files, and you know, and it's like if you're trying to make this uh, take this as seriously as, as you and I believe it should be uh, taken, then you know, connecting it to you know the the theme song or the theme uh, of a of a television show that was I want to believe. I mean, do you want to believe in things, Eric, as a scientist? I mean, how how do you reconcile that?
0: Well, let's put it this way. My life is not so dull that I need aliens to liven it up, (laughs) right? Um, But let's take three different topics that I think are important. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unidentified aircraft in military airspaces, let's say. Mm -hmm. second one would be psychedelics and healing. And the third one would be human sexuality, and in particular, porn. Um, You'll notice that there's a giggle on each one of them. And as a result, you have these forces that are completely, you know, potentially altering our civilization in various ways. Uh, We could be doing a great job of healing with psychedelics, and yet we're still laughing about, oh, so-and-so was tripping, you know? That kind of nonsense. uh, And it's it's not terrible to tell sex jokes or to tell drug jokes. It's just that there's gotta be a way to send the kids to bed so that you can actually have a serious conversation about these things. And one of the problems that we're having is is that the public sphere is pervaded by a certain ethos, a culture, which I've sometimes called the degraded state, where you're just sort of snarking and you're le- making trivial jokes uh, and you're memeing and you're calling it awesome and you're saying, oh, you don't get the Internet. And it's like, well, actually, maybe you don't get life in the opportunity that we have. That earnestness probably sh- is trading at a discount. And if we were to take um, psychedelics more seriously, like how many special forces guys who risk their lives for our country could we save if we got some of these drugs off of schedule one where they don't belong? Are
2: you talking about like psychedelics or what? Yeah, are we?
0: Okay. I'm talking about LSD, DMT, mm-hmm. things that will cause people to raise an eyebrow, mm-hmm. right? The idea that these things are not therapeutic or have a high potential for harm has been disproven, yet they sit there on a list which clearly has those as its twin criteria um, doesn't make any sense that the, the porn explosion, uh, is a serious epidemic yeah. and you're not talking about what it really means, whether it's sex positive, which it is in part and whether it's uh, destroying lives, which it is in part. Why? Because we can't get through it without laughing. And I think the same thing is true with UAP. It's like, Oh, the truth is out there. Oh, tinfoil hat. Oh my God. Flying sauce. Would you shut up? I just don't know, I don't know what to do with it. It's like, these are the serious issues of our lives. Our Pentagon released a report and if 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 it is that just them having a few yucks, you know, hey, I got it. We'll put out a report and we'll talk about UFOs. Um, I, I think we, we scientists should follow it down just the way the amazing Randy did.
2: Yeah, the problem is, you know, I had a live stream with my friend Kurt Jaimungal, our mutual friend, who is somewhere in the chat room. I hope, and uh, was with Tom DeLong and uh, this former CIA operative uh, named Jimmy Semivan and. Uh, I got a lot of heat for that one uh, from a lot of people that watch my show. How can a legitimate scientist entertain this? Uh, And then I had on, you know, you and and then a skeptic like Michael Shermer together just after the, you know, prior to the Pentagon report in June. And we want to get to that. And, you know, so I get it from all sides. Uh, But one, one thing, you know, I haven't asked. You know, besides you and and Michael, I would have back on. You know, I, I don't know if I'd have you know Tom Delong on. In other words, I think I extracted, you know, as a as a UFOologist would do. you know, extracted all the, Kind of interesting content from. T- I think he's a great guy. He's fun. He, you know, I'd love to hang out and go skateboarding and play music with him, or at least play Spotify. You know, that's the only thing I can play, uh, unlike you. Uh, but uh, but I found it very kind of um, uh, unsatisfying that that you know, kind of the evidence that he was presenting, and you know, including the the remains. No, about-
0: but let's be let's be let's be efficient about it. What's really going on is something different, which is that people aren't actually listening to try to figure out what's being said trying to say tell me the minimal thing i can hear from you so i know i never have to listen to you ever again and that's been confused now with like it's it's not the scientific method it's the internet method right and the internet method is like i just want you to say something dumb that i can maybe maybe if i have to i'll take it out of context but almost everyone has brain farts or they lie or you know they get caught in something and then the idea is can i just put that on repeat so i never have to see you or hear from you again <laughs> and i think that that's a large portion of what science has been doing. I don't want to respond to crazy people who say, um, hey, I'm bending spoons in my garage, and uh, you know, I've been abducted, and you have to check out all of my claims uh, because I have a warp drive that'll get us out of here. Why are you ignoring me? Like that person writes to me. Right. Well, okay, so we need better ways of dismissing claims that aren't this wholesale, you can't talk to somebody. Like one of the things that we have is in in the Neo-Darwinian world, we have a claim, no creationist paper has ever passed peer review. Okay, so you're staking everything on the idea that you have a filter and that nothing has ever gotten through the filter. Well, what if somebody does a pretty terrific study of something and then they leave the door open to creationism? Are there is the are we going to lose the science because they made a, an offhand remark at the end of their paper that maybe we have to rethink things and it could be you know it could it might not even be a creationist paper well, as soon as you come up with these rules like you know no scientist has ever done this, it's 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 a it's a desire for artificial cleanliness is what it is right. and i think that what we've got to recognize is that a lot of the people that you see who are giving you this heat are coming at it from this different perspective which is i want Oumuamua to go away. I want uh, Avi Loeb taking the series. I want to just say he's a careerist and that this is just an attempt to get money. And I understand where that's coming from, but it's also cr- an incredibly destructive impulse. I mean, can you imagine if when Benjamin Justy, uh took uh cow pus and stuck it into his family uh, to try to keep them safe from smallpox, what, what would be said about him on Twitter?
2: Right. No. Whereas you and I have said, you know, with uh, James Clerk Maxwell's uh, Maxwell's equations uh, that were propagated by gears and vortices and, of course, an ether, uh, and let alone it made great advances. And actually, in cosmology, our hands aren't as clean as those wonderful Gar- uh, Darwinian evolutionary evolutionary because we publish many, many papers on the steady state, the quasi-steady state, uh, all sorts of other things, in addition to things like the multiverse, uh, which our friend and mutual uh, E.W., Ed Witten, has come to apparently uh, learn to love. This is
0: crazy. I mean, I don't know if people are following this story.
2: Yeah. Do you want to summarize it? I can summarize the, the multiverse perspective. If you want to talk about the landscape or at least the string theory aspects of it, which are very true. Why don't you... Uh, <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll use a Britishism. You're very brave, Brian. Perhaps you should go first.
2: <laughs> well, maybe uh, Edward is is, is following uh, this conversation. I doubt, it, Lee. I, I doubt it. too. he he only seems to follow you know things that are uh, you know, negative about Israel. Uh, but but be that as it may, <clears throat> if he's out there, he's always welcome uh, uh, to come on. I um, noted there was a CERN Courier, which is one of the most prestigious you know kind of non-journal type journals that is a must-read. Uh, that he had an interview and kind of commemorating. Um, uh, I, I forget exactly what the what the uh, occasion was, but he was kind of reflecting on you know 25 years since maybe I don't know uh, the the. the a miracle or, or something like that or the construction of CERN and he was saying uh, you know how much of 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 his perspective has changed and in one sense he said very little it's been so spectacular successful the standard model is very hard to break and to make progress and of course the interview asked him about uh, about the you know his thoughts on things like uh, uh, the string theory landscape which postulates that you know for his, uh, for all the different possible vacuum configurations there are corresponding uh, different constants of nature, laws of physics, perhaps even, uh, and and this is known as the landscape and and uh, or the swampland, depending on who you talk to, and it has a very direct correspondence. And some say that's a good thing. I, I think it's kind of uh, frightening, actually. But to the multiverse of cosmology, which is postulated by uh, logical extrapolation from inflation theory. So he's now saying that you know he used to not like these anthropic kind of arguments, but you know he's learned to kind of adapt to them. And adjust to them as, as part of natural and natural expectation. And you know, basically we should stop telling the universe what to do. Uh but as one person said, you know, isn't that just giving up? Like if you're gonna just adopt the multiverse or the landscape as a possibility, then you know what what point is there in doing physics at this point? So how did you react to that interview uh you know that that I sent down.
0: oh boy. So first of all, let's let's say the positive part, which is that um I think there was an old view that nobody holds anymore, which said that if we could just understand the law, maybe maybe pre-Laplace, if we could just understand the laws of nature, we could compute its consequences and know the future. Yeah. And I, I think that this strong reductionism doesn't really exist. It's a straw man in our day and age. Everyone now understands that some of the properties of the world are, are sort of properties of the equations or for the... A uh, few physicists in the audience, the Lagrangian. Um, some p- p- parts of this have to do with the solutions of the equations, that certain solutions of the equations have certain properties that we think of as normal, but there are other solutions that we know nothing about. And so we, we are stuck in a subset of the solutions. And some of this has to do with the um, You know, what might be a confusion that we should be on the lookout for, you think that there's a number that means something, but that number is actually the value of a field that changes in space and time. So I might say that uh, I'm kind of chilly in this room, it's probably 64 degrees in here, something like that. But it's not a uniform number. It's a number that changes depending upon where I am in the room. And if I said that the, the temperature in the room is 64 degrees, I would be making this confusion in a way that's very easy to understand. So I think that there's a lot of room for kind of humility and discipline with respect to saying, I wonder what part of this is anthropic, what part of this is a property of the solutions, which is part of the equations, what is a vacuum expectation value that is actually a field that has been excited to some level that is reasonably constant where we live, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's all healthy and positive. Mm. And I think it's great that he said that. The part that I don't like is wait a minute, you just took the entire field of physics on a nearly 40 year uh, adventure, um, where which was characterized in the early portion by getting rid of your competitors by saying, well, I'll have the whole thing wrapped up by noontime tomorrow because there are only you know uh, a finite number of theories to investigate and nothing else has the power and glory of string theory. All uh, who can see it will be healed. Amen. I mean, the crimes of string theorists are very different than the issues with string theory. String theory is not going to hurt anybody. It's a bunch of equations and ideas and complex of stuff. But when you have people, you know, even that we respect, like Natty Seiberg saying, "Oh, if string theory will be right, because if anyone comes up with anything that isn't string theory, we'll call it string theory." Right. And you are thinking like, "Well, that's are you allowed to say that?" I think that what we need to do is to recognize that collegiality in academics is a resource. And what academics looks like in the absence of collegiality, where you're just full Hunger Games, right? And you and you announce your strategy. Hey, you know, I, I only invited you to dinner so that, that I could uh, uh, I could execute you and eat you. You know, uh, well, wait, what? You know, I, I have this very strong negative feeling. So you're telling me we should work on something, and then if we get it right, and you have it wrong, you'll just call it what you were doing to begin with, and you're announcing this to the world. It's sort of a joke. But it really isn't. Um, Hmm. I think that there's something about string theory that it's an enormous complex of interrelated ideas that clearly means something. We don't know what it means. And what it means may not be about physics. What it means may be about pure mathematics, infinite dimensional structures, extended objects, all of this stuff. Um, When we found out that quantum field theory wasn't about physics in the 80s, It was a complete shock to me, and it it didn't seem to register to too many people that when when topological quantum field theory came out, it was very similar to what happened with ADS-CFT sort of a decade later, which is that uh, you connected things that showed that what you were working on didn't mean what you said. So, for example, with strings, it was claimed that string theory could do things that gauge theories couldn't. But then if you have some sort of uh, holographic principle or duality principle or any kind of a principle that says, oh, this string theory is dual to a gauge theory, you just sort of undercut your own argument, um, much the way, uh, you know, in my opinion, when we found out that topological quantum field theories existed, they didn't have anything to do with physics, they had to do with the formal structure. And it was very much like liberating calculus from wherever it was initially discovered in the sciences. It turns out calculus is useful for everything. Um, so you, you know, you might invent, let's say quaternions or something for a very particular purpose, but once you've invented it, it belongs to the world. And I believe that partially what we found out, um, is, is that, uh, the justification for string theory, uh, has somewhat evaporated, um, which is maybe gauge theories can do what string theories can do. Maybe there are dualities and relationships and holographic principles and correspondences that, uh, are much richer, and that maybe string theory is hanging together in a certain mathematical sense, not because it has anything to do with the physical world. It could be hanging together because it's a piece of pure mathematics, much the way you know quadratic reciprocity is true, but it doesn't need to come from the physical uh, world as we know it.
2: Yeah, when I look back again, you know it's always dangerous when physicists talk about history or philosophy or religion. Or, uh, but but I think you know it's when they're sober. <laughs> we we shouldn't be you know forbidden to talk about it, but we should do so judiciously. And you know, and, and I look at uh, you know some of these comments, and and I've had the honor and pleasure of you know talking to many people over the past couple of years since I started this uh, project, and I keep coming back to this question of you know what. Uh, of what, and I'm not the first to do this, obviously, if, you know, Feynman said, I don't care how beautiful your theory is, if it doesn't agree with experiment, it's wrong. But Eric, we're in a situation where they're, you know, we're told that the experiments don't exist, they can't exist, we can't make them. And I often say, you know, look, if I told Ed Witten, you know, in 1971, you know, when he was working, you know, right next door to Frank Wilczek. Uh, was it 73? Know, uh, well, I started they, graduate school in 73. Oh, so have that oh, really? OK. Well, yeah. You know. I think so he was yeah. working
0: on the McGovern campaign. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> I could be wrong.
2: Again, uh, so I retract what I said about physicists and history, because uh, obviously I'm talking I'm about
0: a podcaster. I'm, I'm an
2: internet. <laughs> you're an internet celebrity. Um, and I said, well, what if I told you back then, you know, we'll have these colliders, but they won't collide, you know, protons and antiprotons or electron uh, electron scattering. No, they'll collide, um, uh, you know, uh, entities made up of 10 to the 56 neutrons together. Uh, two of them, you know, 30 solar mass uh, neutron stars or, or whatever, multi-multi-solar mass neutron, we'll collide them together at a few times the speed, of, or a few percent of the speed of light. Uh, would you take that? You know, would that be enough to tell you? Would they have said at that point, Eric, no, we need something beyond the, LHC? I mean... It's an uh, interesting question. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what do we make of this, you know, because a theorist will hide, uh, uh, let me say this, an experimentalist will hide our results, I'm speaking on behalf of, of myself only, we often hide our, uh, I wouldn't say dirty laundry, but we'll hide behind the upper limit. So, what is an upper limit? An upper limit is saying, you know, we're not going to put a stake in the ground that we made a detection. Uh, you know, we, we know it's not bigger than a certain value. And, and so, therefore, you know, we don't have to do quite as much to rule out or to rule out other competitive explanations because it's consistent with noise. And so, you don't spend your time, you know, seeing what other sources of noise, you, you account for the systematic noise, the statistical noise, and then you're done with an upper limit. A detection is different. Now, I think the corresponding complementary perspective, as Frank Wilczek would call it, is when a theorist says, oh, we can't know unless you tell us either the vacuum state of no. our own theory or you build us the future, future galactic, pan-galactic collider. So I, I think physics has a problem and that we have a courage problem. And we're not really willing to go out and say that's impossible or you know, the, the fruit on the apple tree is way too high to be picked.
0: Got it. Um, couple things. First of all, so your first was a crypt, your first point was a cryptic reference to um, I think LIGO and what we can yeah, pick up now. That's right. Uh, I should point out that Murray Gell-Mann, as early as 1983 at the Second Shelter Island Conference, is very clear in his keynote speech that um, we should be using cosmic rays and the debris from the universe uh, as a uh, substitute accelerator.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, in, in some sense, a more powerful, but less predictable one, you get what you get. You can't schedule, uh, these, uh, collisions between <laughs> black holes the way you'd like to. Uh, so getting beam time is kind of a weird thing. Uh, if, if you, if you know that reference, yeah. I, I would say that the, um, you know, the, the issue is what we, we talked about before. The reason nobody wants to say sharp things is this idea of, uh, and I'm going to bring it back to Feynman because I'm having a weird beef, not with Feynman so much, but with the fact that the internet has, devo- has uh, discerned a lot of meaning from him, which is just wrong. Yeah. And he was playing to the cheap seats. I think that he made a lot of very simple, powerful statements, which people love because they don't they're not very difficult to understand, but they're, they're also not correct. They're pithy. So one of them, one of them is, is that if, if your theory doesn't agree, agree with your ex, uh, experiments, it's wrong. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. I mean, the issue is the instance of your theory, the instantiation of your theory is wrong, provided that the experiment was, in fact, done correctly and there is that discrepancy. But I, I think that what, what we're, we really haven't ex, acknowledged this point. We've developed this very bad habit of the going after the kill shot. Yeah. You know. Oh, Blas Cabrera saw a monopole in his laboratory on Valentine's uh, Day in 1990. Yeah. So, and but it's never happened again. So he, he can't be trusted. Who's Wrong. next?
1: Right. right. Canceled. Wrong.
0: Right. Exactly. And then the next one is like, oh, the
2: string theorists—they said that they were going to do everything, and they didn't do anything. Right. And they don't. Frank Wilczek do promised supersymmetry from the LHC Run One. What, what about Gordon Kane? Loser.
1: Yep. Yeah like
0: and the the answer is this is ridiculous and it's unbecoming it it just it shows that we're not really a science at the moment um can you imagine if qed was wrong quantum electrodynamics was wrong because dirac uh you know got this prediction of the proton and the electron wrong Uh, this is dumb it would it would take out einstein it it basically is a rebellion against and i'm going to be like not so nice it's it's a rebellion like, like by the copyright by the copywriters, against the authors. Hmm. It's like, "Oh, if I can find a spelling error, then I can throw out Hamlet." Oh really? <laughs> I didn't know that's how science works. so thanks for the information. I think it's really important that we stop trying to go after string theory. Mm-hmm. I think string theory is not going to hurt anybody. The key issue is string theory culture. And the thing that I'm really a- a- against is the idea that we don't want to say certain things. We are all so thankful that Ed Witten passed through. That we don't want to talk about the fact that he probably made a disastrous bet veering the field towards string theory in a very unconcentrated portfolio of approaches. And yeah, I, wait, 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 it's not a, it's not an anti-Ed Witten point. If you ask me, what you know, the closest I get to an anti-Ed Witten point is why aren't you taking responsibility for what you did to the field? It, right now, it needs to be wide open. It needs lots of different people. And I think that the string theorists have a persistent Sort of complaint, which is none of the rest of you have taken the issues of renormalizability and compatibility of gravity with the standard model as seriously as we have. And therefore, we don't trust you with the car keys. And I think that, you know, in some level, well, maybe you guys didn't take seriously enough the idea that this wasn't really beautiful. Like the argument that this is all so beautiful has uh, empowered our friend Sabina to go on an anti beauty tirade that has really nothing to do with anything. Um, it's, it's just that the string theorists, the string theorists,
2: used beauty oh, as Erica a. As lost a your sound. <clears throat> oh no! Did you, did you do something? Hello? I'm not hearing you anywhere. You hear me at Twitter all? Or YouTube? Um, is your phone <clears throat> acting up? All right, we lost him. So I want to. I'll take a, just a second to chime in with two. You know, for every. Feynman quote, there's an equal and opposite Feynman quote. And uh, in addition to his saying when he won the Nobel Prize, that if I could explain it to you, it wouldn't be worth a Nobel Prize, uh, he's also rumored to have said um, that if you can't explain it to your grandmother, then you don't understand it. So which one was it? So uh, Eric, I see, I know I don't see you. I hear you, I think, on Twitter. Can you say something, Eric? Eric, can you hear me? Eric I hear rustling on at least on Twitter spaces but I don't hear uh and I've lost you on YouTube. Now I hear myself. <clears throat> so people are saying, "Yeah, I can hear you on Twitter now." Yep. Okay. Oh yeah, there we go. Uh okay. stable enough. I see. I see you. you, uh, I hear you you on Twitter. Twitter. Let me turn it down. Let me me see. Do I hear you you on YouTube? Say something again. Can you hear? Are you? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you now. I think it's fine. Uh, Folks, can you say anything uh, else? Uh, Can you let us know out there if you can hear us? There we go. Eric, can you hear me? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so, so we were, we're talking about Ed Witten, and I, I do want to make one comment. I want to get your reaction to this because um, I have a guest coming up uh, by the name of Christopher Sweat, who is uh, kind of a philosopher. He's a, um, uh, an intellectual, but he, he's African American, and he hates this notion of black intellectuals. He hates to have, uh, you know, there be thought of, of, this, you know, who is speaking for the black community and, you know, let them come forth and they are intellectuals. Like, you know, I, I don't know if anyone thinks of me as a white intellectual, but, but the point, you know, er, uh, Ed is, and now you're frozen again, damn it. Um, can you, move, Yeah, I hear you on Twitter. Can you hear me, Eric? Still, I can hear you. Okay. I hear you on Twitter. I don't see you on, let me yeah, log you back in. Uh, but the point being that we have, you know, this notion of, of leaders in a field, and then these leaders have some responsibility if they're going to accept that mantle. And as Christopher is saying, in the black community, I mean, who can who can possibly say that they speak for the black community as a black intellectual, et cetera, et cetera? And this is right or left. I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, you know, t- choosing sides. But um, but in the context of you know of a particle physics or string theory you know clearly Ed is a leader in in a certain sense. What does that entail? What responsibilities does he have to you know as the de facto leader in the case where there is no leader? You know let let uh, whoever is willing to lead come forward. So what responsibility does Ed have? Um, after all, he's made very clear statements about string theory, including. Uh, that he believes that string theory is the only theory of you know any form of geometric or a theory of everything that can incorporate the Yang Mills um, equations in a self-consistent manner. Well, this is nonsense. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know how to say it politely. Uh, Ed Witten is uh, a leader, as is Dick, as is um, David Gross. Yep. Um, I think that Nima Arkani-Hamed is a non-string theory leader. Mm-hmm. You find out who the leaders are by who gets the keynotes and who um, makes decisions about uh, you know where the field is going to go and how DOE funds things. I, I, this is nonsense. We, we have to recognize we have leadership, and I, I don't know why Christopher Sweat is in this conversation. Ed Witten's a super important human being who directed the field to an enormous extent uh, at a time when it was lost. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's really important to recognize that we don't experience leadership in our time. I I don't know that somebody's given him the talk that says, Hey, this isn't your field. It wasn't Einstein's, it wasn't Newton's, it wasn't Dirac. You have responsibilities. You're 70 years old this year. Mm -hmm. And you have got to do certain things that aren't up to you. It's a it's it's the burden of leadership. And for some reason, we're living in an era in which nobody feels any burden of leadership. Um, you know, I, I think that, for example, uh, George I and Glashow felt too much burden when their the SU5 um, theory was not immediately confirmed for proton decay, and they immediately fell on their swords. Well, you know, as per our earlier discussion, it's not like grand unified theories went away,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's not even like SU5 went away. But this idea of in an era in which everyone survives, making a mistake doesn't end up as a kill shot. And also your, your, your colleagues are decent enough to give you credit for your work, even if there's a flaw, a flaw somewhere in the theory, if there's a fly in your ointment, and I I, I just, I don't know what planet I'm on. It's very clear that when you're 70 years old and you've spent this much time on a theory and you've taken this number of resources, human, financial, and otherwise to explore an idea, and it has this little to show for itself. And by the way, I've written extensively about all the positive externalities of the string theorists, uh, you know, geometrizing uh, quantum field theory. And so there's no shortage of positive things I can say. It's not it's not an anti them thing, but it's sort of an at what point do we become adults? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really important to recognize that most of us are saying wrong things about science to avoid offending Qumran and Ed. Um, you know, and, and Strominger, Kolchinski and company. I think that these guys really probably want to get off this train at some level, I think that they want to say something
1: mm-hmm.
0: about the field needs to be open and we made some mistakes and I don't, I don't think we need truth and reconciliation, but I think we need to be decent. And I think we ne- need to recognize that the, the real problem was string theory culture, not string theory. And the reason that it was problematic, um, is, is that it attempted to put other cultures to the sword prematurely based on what it said it was going to do and then failed to deliver. So you say that you shouldn't fund them because we're about to do everything. And then you don't do it. I want to know Well, can we hear more from the people who don't work in physics anymore, can we hear more from the people, uh, who you've trashed? Uh, I I think about the bootstrap community from Jeff Chu and. I think it's really important that we recognize that, you know, catastrophe theory of, of Renee Tom didn't work out necessarily the way we expected We've had all sorts of big theories that, you know, maybe the Reggie calculus didn't, didn't go where we thought it was going to go in general relativity, whatever it is, it's really important and necessary that we cut this out. Uh, mm-hmm. Are we scientists or are we, are we postmodern, um, philosophers who play with equations? I don't know.
2: You know, hopefully for many of you out there, I also do solo videos where I do kind of explainers about experimental physics. There's a lot of theoretical physics out there in the world. And uh, I love Sean Carroll and I love uh, Sabina and I love Brian Green and the guys at PBS Space Time who I've collaborated with. But uh, I think I want to, you know, really kind of up the ante and kind of production quality of those videos where – I'm explaining topics in experimental physics, not just in cosmology, not just the theoretical aspects, although I will get into theory on occasion. As Eric knows, I like to dabble in theory the way a drummer dabbles no, in music. more than that, Brian. Well, I'm not a professor. I always say to my students, Eric, you know, I say... You know, you're an experimentalist, but that doesn't absolve you of the of the you know necessity and burden of understanding the theory. All you are absolved of, my uh, my student, I will say, is that you don't have to come up with new theories. You don't have to invent new theories. Or really, you know, uh, look for extensions or corollaries to them. But you need to understand them. Otherwise, you're just kind of, uh, uh, you know, almost robotically going through the motions. And that's not why I got into physics to train a bunch of AI, you know, <laughs> uh, non-sentient beings. And and I'm blessed to have so many wonderful students working with me and, uh, and also to have in uh, a wonderful – Uh, a wonderful amount of high school students, uh, one of which is is particularly close to Eric. And I want to get into that um, and how to train a student. How do you want to train your kids? If you're interested... Um, in getting your kids interested in STEM, uh, hit the hit the like button because Eric and I are working on a project together with our children. We're kind of doing a swap of a certain kind, uh, where my child will uh, learn and, and get recommendations from Eric, in particular about experimental physics and uh, and uh, our experimental cosmology, and I will teach his son uh, about uh, you know gauge. No, no, I'm just kidding. We actually do the opposite. So I'm sort of um, coaching, mentoring Zev Weinstein. Who's a, a brilliant and talented uh, young man that I'm grateful to have some uh, form of influence with, uh, and uh, and Eric is tutoring my son, my oldest son, on uh, you know the the most beautiful ways to get adjusted to as a ten-year-old can at least to get adjusted to. Um, to get adjusted to the concepts of higher mathematics. Starting with, of all things, uh, higher dimensional geometry topology with a book that Eric bought for my son uh, recently uh, called The Shape of Space, which I'm enjoying him reading to me. It's really wonderful, Eric. Uh, And I wanna thank you for that on behalf of my son and myself. Before we pivot to how to raise a child uh, that you're interested in becoming a STEM professional, which I think we have you know, in the last six months of working together on this project with our children, Uh, we have some insight into. And uh, in particular, how to do uh, things like bypass the BS kind of introductory, you know, stuff that you can get past very early on. And This is risky for me, Eric, because I'm a public university professor, right? So part of my, uh, you know, my lucre comes from <laughs> uh, having students enroll for all four years. But if I can get them to bypass uh, your son or your daughter to bypass two or three years, I'm all for it and get straight to the good stuff, which is more fun, by the way, for me and you to teach. But I want to get back to. Uh, geometric theories because you were extremely again you had a great year you played oh, uh, old town road to on your birthday ahead. at a, at a, a little okay. Nas before, X with your... before we get to that
0: to that let me just right, I, I go do ahead, go ahead something.
2: go ahead
0: it's it's not really fair though um I think that w- you know what's happening with with Zev is that he more or less kicked us out and then invited us back in uh, he, he made a study of physics, uh, what is taught as an, to undergraduates. He realized that the same courses occur multiple times. He, you know, he, he effectively came up with an entire plan to self-teach a physics major, and I would love to take credit for that, <laughs> except I didn't do it. Um, and I think you can take some credit for it in part because. You challenged him with something where you said, "Look, you know, it's going to actually take more time and effort to train you than you're imagining. So this doesn't become a net positive." And he's like, "Hold my beer."
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: Before and, you give me a homework assignment, you know.
0: Well, and you know, we were locked down during COVID to some extent. And he said, right. "Okay, what do you what, what do you feel like if I take this summer and uh, and burn it on a physics major that doesn't exist?" And I said, "Well, you've never taken calculus or linear algebra. How are you going to do that?" He right. said uh, do you believe? And I said, okay, I'll, I'll try. So I don't, I still don't know how he somehow bootstrapped himself into seemingly having the, I mean, am I wrong about this? He seems to have more or less the knowledge of a, of a physics major with some holes in it, but it's pretty much like quantum and classical electromagnetism. I think that it's, it's a wonderful thing because it's a huge shot across the bow about, um, do we need to teach these courses multiple times? Can we just, well, and, and furthermore, Brian, one of the things we've been discussing is, um, is the fact that you, you wait until your second year of graduate school, often to take general relativity and quantum field theory, the two theories that sort of define everything. And they aren't even required of every experimentalist, which I had no idea. Right different universities have these different requirements. So in part, I think what Zev is doing uh, is essential in that if we need if we need more time so that everybody learns general relativity and quantum field theory, uh, we have to figure out how to compress the physics major so that you can do more, more quickly. And again, I think that he wanted to impress you that you, he didn't need to be a net drain on your time. And that also sort of inspired me with your son that when your son gave an unbelievable math Uh, answer um, to a group theory problem without any equations or any symbols that we were able to serve up to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just let's hit him with you know, Jeff Weeks, The Shape of Space, uh, which is a wonderful book, which is really about higher topology. It's kind of an advanced concept beyond college for most people, but written in a way that's engaging for anyone uh, to read. And so I think what we need to do is we need to use these channels that we have in particular, to get more people from backgrounds, you know, you and I come from, from from Jewish backgrounds, which have a reverence for learning. If somebody's coming from a culture that maybe put a higher emphasis on the arts, sports, or something like that, we need to get this stuff so it's less painful, more fulfilling, and more exciting to the imagination. So that you don't happen to, you know, need to be in this game because I, I certainly yeah, didn't I, come I, from an academic family.
2: Like, I know that I was just going to make the joke. You know, you hear a lot of people talking about, "Well, I'm a first generation, you know, college student," and I'm thinking, like, right. our kids are, you know, they can't even be first generation professor, you know, PhDs. You know, your your kids have, you know, two Harvard PhD parents, and my kid has at least one, you know, PhD from an yeah, Ivy League but school. But what, what do we say and
0: and, and, and schmata salesman for grandparents? And so you that's know, true. And way, same
2: with mine. Yeah, my my mother didn't graduate from from college until she graduated from Western Connecticut State at age fifty five with a degree in social work. (laughs) But my dad, of course, did. Now I want to, but I do want to say we did spend time with uh, one of my best friends, the best man at my wedding, Stefan Alexander, jamming along with our kids and and talking physics and and drinking a little bit of wine. Let's let's be honest, okay? Uh, There's no there's no harm in drinking that wine. No harm. Uh, We had some roti, and and Steph got some great delicacies. um, uh, You know that. That he would used to cook for me back when I was at Brown, uh, but uh, but you know Stefan is a product of the public school system too, and you and I live in California, and the fact that we've had to go out of our way you know to really craft a curriculum for our children uh, because the powers that be won't do it. No, and, this is ridiculous. And I am so I'm I, I've never been so disgusted with the with the leadership that we have and I and I said to Stefan, look, you're black, you know, for those that don't know Professor Stefan Alexander, he's a ch- president of the National Society of Black Physicists, full professor at Brown University, he was the EE Just Professor, a Boucher award. Hey, the guy's got all possible credentials that you yeah. could ever want, okay? This man is a product of the public school system. He said, I would not be talking to you if I didn't have exposure to calculus. Like we wouldn't have been friends. I mean, forget about like, yeah, he wouldn't no, be a professor. Like, I, I wouldn't, he wouldn't be in my life. Brian, and- Brian,
0: this is just this is just stupid. And and it's it's important that um <laughs> it's important that we learn to say no to people with bad ideas, no matter what color skin or or what their sexual orientation. If you've got a bad idea, I don't care if you're jewish muslim christian atheist you've got a bad idea and the idea for example of getting rid of standardized testing in california is completely insane this idea that math is discriminating uh it's it's also i'm just going to be very blunt about it. it's also extremely bigoted yeah how many of our friends uh who who are all for this kind of uh this nonsense secretly believe that black kids can't do math And, and it's offensive to me it's like you know what (laughs) <laughs> They're going to be just fine. Let, let let us at them absolutely, and, and, and get out of the effing way. This is just stupid. You're you're not going to take the entire uh, and this claim that right uh, math is biased against people of color. Have you taken a look at our winning math Olympiad team?
2: <laughs> There's one white guy on it. Wow. But it's then they'll say, funny. oh, those are Asian-Americans. Those are, you know. You know what? I don't, I don't have time for stupid. Let's talk about smart. No, the, the thing is, I like to point out is if you go to Nigeria, which is one of the most advanced technological civilizations on Earth, uh, and, and, you know, just they don't teach two plus two equals anything other than four in any other top university. So let's stop saying but, it's white supremacy. I, I can't countenance that.
0: Well, please let me know how uh, alternate mathematics works on your tax return. Let's, let's just, you know what? We, 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 we take these people too seriously. All right, so let's, let's let's
2: go positive then. Let's talk about like specifically sure. what we are trying to do with our kids, and I think a lot of it comes down to time. and And this pandemic has been a great challenge. It's been hard, you know, being around you know a bunch of kids all day long, and then having to teach another bunch of kids, other people's kids, uh, and and doing all and dealing with COVID tests every single you know afternoon. It seems like there's a COVID test to take care of, and and I just I just you know. Thought about it, but like, when are we ever going to get this time back? This is a gift. Like, I wouldn't probably have had time to spend, you know, with with my kids, let alone your kids, in the in the sense that that we have now. And we've kind of developed a little, and it's an experiment. And I always say, you know, people are like yeah. we're experimenting with our kids. Well, I'm an experimental physicist, so you know, yeah. f off if you don't like experiment. Um, I'm not I've like experimented do- it on my kids
0: since the day they were born. For sure.
2: <laughs> And and what else do we have? I mean, they're going to blame us no matter what. So we might as well have some fun with them. And I think the most fun thing that you can do is not. We're, but by the way, for those of you out there, neither one of us is pushing either one of our children to follow in our footsteps. And in no, that sense, they, I, I don't want them to. Right. It's much more durable I mean, if they don't. And and to no, see that's the, not
0: the issue, Brian. The 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 issue is is that they want to know what are the coolest things in the world. Well, well, it's not a career decision. Mm-hmm. Like the. The ability to talk to a 16-year-old kid, who has a more or less a bachelor's degree's worth of knowledge of physics, yeah. and and to have him correct me, and <laughs> you know, I, I I didn't I didn't come to physics through that route. I went through a totally different channel. It's it's a wonderful thing to view it as culture, mm-hmm. and you know, just because y- y- you know you played the oboe doesn't mean that you become an oboe player, you know it should be the case that you can learn quantum field theory and general relativity and differential topology without having to make those your career. Mm-hmm. And we don't, have a, we don't have an idea that that's possible because we make it so difficult that by the time you're done, you want a career and you need a career and it wouldn't be fair to you not to have a career. And I think that in some sense, that's part of the problem is, is that we need to make this much more simple to explore the most beautiful ideas in the world and, you know, it's also a great uh, comeback to that whole Feynman thing about, you know, if, 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 you, uh, if, if you can't understand it, it's because the person explaining it didn't, didn't make it make sense. Right. Um, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Well, but, you know, they couldn't understand it. It's wonderful watching the fact that this stuff is understandable and watching the fact that it trips people up in exactly the same places. You know, for example, you might say that, there, that there's a Hilbert space of states, You know and that the 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 points in the hilbert space are the states of the system right and well that's not true because you know there's an issue of a projective hilbert space or maybe it's not really a hilbert space maybe it's or maybe it's a rigged hilbert space there are all sorts of ways in which we 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 just go quickly over things where we're slightly lying and it's been really interesting watching the 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 16 year old figure out that there are a bunch of lies that are told (laughs) as the you know as a scaffolding and then the lies are removed later it's crazy that we teach chemistry before quantum field theory because it's dependent on quantum field theory and so you know in a, in a weird way i think i'm getting a lot out of this time watching my child teach himself which is not the same thing as teaching my child or teaching your child my, my plan for your child was to buy the book and to have isaac teach himself the subject with uh, me getting him out of the ditch whenever he gets into trouble. But it's really the old Kung Fu Panda point that the turtle teaches the panda. It's not Shifu who teaches the panda, it's Mm -hmm. the turtle. And they only have two conversations in the entire film.
2: But it also underscores this need. I had a conversation, I was honored to be on uh, Tom Billiou and his podcast recently. And uh, he's, he's very much hoping you'll go back on his show. And he and I chatted a lot and he doesn't have children. And he made that an intentional decision, he and his wife, Lisa, that they weren't going to have kids and that this is something they didn't want the, you know, quite frankly, a slight burden and so forth. And I said, well, you know, I, I didn't get on my high horse about it. Uh, but I said, you know, because there are people that can have kids. And, and it's for us to say, well, you, you could only make an impact if you do, you know, kind of teach your own kids. And so, but I said, look, Tom, you can be an ideological parent just as much as a biological parent. Now I don't think particularly are important should be paid to like, who produced the sperm or the egg that produced a certain king. You know, he asked me like, well, don't you feel closer to, your, to, to a biological kid than some kid you adopt? I said, Tom, you know, God forbid, you know, it happens that a parent is told. Let's say someone comes to you, Eric, and says, you know, Zev, uh, he kind of looks like you, but, but he was actually, uh, we well, used mixed up at, at birth in the hospital. You know, we accidentally mixed him up and uh, he's not your
0: kid. This happened to a friend of mine. No way. And he had, he had five kids. No way. And it wasn't 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 a question of a mix up in the hospital, but another uh, less fortunate situation. Mm-hmm. And the child that he's closest to isn't his. Yeah. And but but again, Tom Billu is doing great things in terms of giving. Oh yeah, I didn't finish. To, that. No, no, of course I, I know we all the usual. I, I am disturbed about the antinatalism. I think mm. it's very important that we try to recognize that there's a reason that we have our own biological children. But when that doesn't work out, there are a whole panoply of options, uh, including mixing, you know, some sometimes a mixed family with a, adopted kids and not up to, or taking on other people's uh children and, and pouring your your wisdom into them uh, our friend melanie notkin has talked about we have to talk about something which is uncomfortable which is yeah. that there are preferred states of the system but there are lots of situations in which you get into a non-preferred state and it can be as deeply fulfilling or more fulfilling and for some reason the nuance isn't present to talk about that but in general i think both of us agree have babies i will point out that the whole dem the um demographic transition from high uh, numbers of children to lower numbers of children has been an incremental version of antinatalism. As you give people opportunity costs, particularly women, um, they tend to have fewer children. Also, of course, as more children survive, they tend to uh, stop having many children expecting that some of them won't make it. But, you know, to get To get back to it and sum it up, yes, I think that this time of COVID has been huge if you've used it to try to not only teach your children, but have your children uh, have the freedom to teach themselves while you're at home and to just watch the process and try not to interfere too much.
2: Yeah, and uh, just to close out that little vignette with respect to Tom, you know, I did say to him that I found it very, you know, um, very interesting that he has, you know, made a commitment, and his decision to not have kids can only be verified by him to have been a bad one on his deathbed, and he admits that. If I regret it on my deathbed, then I know it'll be a bad decision. I said he'll never know. He'll never know. And but, but we'll never know. But there's a side benefit which is that I think we can know. And, and one of the ways that we can know is that we can know that being an ideological father or mother uh, is is impactful. And I think that comes down to our kids. Like our kids might listen more, like Zeb might listen more to me about certain things and, and about academia or maybe in an experimental physics sense. And they're just lacunae that you and I have in our yeah. parenting and knowledge base that, that can be fulfilled by the other. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful that that my son will like, like oh, Eric told me to do this? like. Like I'm, I'm wondering, Eric. Can you tell him to clean up his room tonight and put away? Because he's going to listen to you. He may not listen to me. But th- that is a very, very powerful observation. I think that I'm seeing that sometimes you need, as Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, once said, it takes a village. I say it takes a multiverse, and to have to have an input. It just shows you the benefit that you may not be this person's father or mother, but you could impact them in a way that maybe their own biological parent couldn't have influenced them. To an extent, Brian, we, de- we do need uncles and aunts and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I think
0: Mel- Melanie and Jordan Peterson, yeah. uh, you know, trying to fulfill that's really important. But I also think that, you know, we're also dancing around things that aren't true, that sound good. I mean, I think the fact is, is that I've watched your five kids listen to you because you put in the time and and you build credibility and the way in which you parent. And, you know, I do think that in part, we've gotten into this lazy thing about teenagers, they always rebel. Uh, None of this stuff is really true. I think the point is, if you have really good, strong families, uh, kids figure out that they have to both disambiguate, well, they're going to have to figure out the difference between what they believe and what you believe and what's right for them and their time versus your time. Sure. But I also think that, quite honestly, families are super important, and we in the United States made a huge mistake by thinking we could rely on the market to take over many of the basic features of family life. And I think we're being taught a lesson that as children come home to live, that's not failure and that's not weird. It's the fact that families are an important um, auxiliary with respect to markets. Markets fluctuate and there are problems and there are wars, and it's important that some portions of your family are strong enough to, uh, take in the weaker portions during tough times and, and help people out. And I think that these are starting to be real, real tough times. I think they can get a lot tougher than this. And I think we should be making a much larger bet, uh, on families and a smaller bet on the market as fewer and fewer people. I mean, Tom Billu has been able to get the market to work for him, but most of us can't get the market to work for us at the same extent. And right. I think it's really important to recognize that, um, I don't want to pretend that Zeb doesn't listen to me or Isaac doesn't listen to you. They're really listening, and we've got to set an example. And it's tough because, in some ways, I don't think we've ever been uh, told that we're the adults. And so, in some sense, you, you kind of look around the room yeah. and you say, wait, 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 me? No.
2: It's time <laughs> yeah, to lead. And, yeah. each, and each of us with different, you know, kind of like, you know, gaps in our own father's upbringing. But I, I do want to point out one market force that's really troubling along the antinatalism, and then we'll move on. But uh, there was a tweet over the summer by uh, this mathematician, John Carlos Baez, who is at UC Riverside, famous guy, brilliant guy, and he was he was saying like I'm gonna spend most of my time thinking about like climate change, and so here's a talk I gave about climate change, and in the talk he talks about all the things you can do to stem your carbon footprint. Okay, this is cool. Let me listen to it. He's a bright guy. Let me, and he goes through the mathematics of it, and it comes out with um, you know, don't eat meat. Yeah, uh, maybe, you know, I can cut back on a, on a couple of every now and then, but it'll be tough. But may, maybe for the planet, I'll do it. Um, don't take so many airline trips, especially to conferences. Well, you know, check plus. I haven't been to, you know, very many conferences lately. They've all been over Zoom. Uh, and I don't know if that's a particularly good thing or bad thing. We'll talk about that some other time. And then another thing is like don't have kids. Or adopt, <laughs> and that was the last thing. And I was like, well, "Excuse me," and and it's it's more than just like a factor of five. It might be even ten times more impactful if you don't have a kid, according to John, than if you do. Uh, than if you cut out meat and driving uh, cars and going to conferences. So I was like, "Well, isn't that logical extrapolation that nobody should have kids, and, and or maybe we should commit suicide, John?" Uh, like, I, like I think that's so fatalistic, and that's so under, it's so depressing to me, Eric, that a t- scientific mind, as great as his, would fundamentally, I mean, what if, not just the the next Zeb Weinstein, there are people that aren't born. There are many, millions of people that aren't born. So are we going to stem the possible contributions to getting off of this planet or bettering this planet or healing the carbon crisis itself by not having kids? What kind of advice is this?
0: I have a hard hard enough time with self-hating Jews. Self-hating humans is is a bridge too far. I think I can't do it Especially
2: mathematicians.
0: (laughs) can, can we get on to another topic? Okay, just, let's go on to. I, I don't topic. want to talk about about nihilism. I want to
2: talk about uh, uh, what I call the Ass Air Project, which is a, a schema uh, for me. Hopefully, with with help from folks like you and uh, Luis Alvarez Galme Alvarez Galme at, at SUNY Stony Brook, uh, Stefan Alexander, and hopefully folks like Paul Steinhardt. Although I haven't asked him yet, uh, but we're going to do like a Shelter Island three. We're going to do recreate these famous co- conferences that really set the stage uh, for the future of of experimental and theoretical uh, physics going, you know, from the 1940s and 50s, uh, you know, to the 80s. I think the last one was sometime in the 1980s. And we're actually going to do it at, you know, the Ram's Head Inn and Shelter Island at some point, okay? So, uh, so stay tuned for that if these are the kinds of things that turn you on. But um, I've been noticing in asymmetry uh, that certainly your theory of geometric unity is controversial. It's gotten, you know, flack and and, and and so forth. And we're not gonna get into that necessarily. But I haven't noticed a, a symmetric property wherein people a to the extent that they'll criticize Witten, because they'll know that he's not going to listen, or, or doesn't even know who they are, if you know Sabina or me, uh, you know, or you, uh, quite frankly, if if we start, you know, uh, skewering him for now adopting the anthropic principle and the multiverse and the landscape, that's one thing. Uh, but but other theories of everything, uh, for example, Peter White, um, who you're uh, you know uh, friendly with, I know Stefan is friendly with. He's given a lecture at uh, at um, at Brown University at Stefan's invitation about his new theory, and I I just thought it was particularly particularly Touching to me that you had the um, the as we say the menschlichkeit you were you were mensch you went through his theory which you don't necessarily think is ultimately going to prevail or be correct and, and might have some some flaws that we can get into good idea it's a good idea but it's more important the meta idea is that he has the idea and that you're taking it seriously and I know I noticed that you're going to be doing this thing with Brian Green and Sabina and and Michael Shermer for some reason <laughs> uh, our mutual friend but um, you know talking about theories of everything and i made a joke you know i think we should give a nobel prize to the person who doesn't come up with a theory of everything but
0: what well, you do you should say what well, that's a reference to yeah that's, that's a reference a- to the hadronic uh, resonances of the 1950s and 60s where somebody said we should give a nobel prize to the person who
2: doesn't uh, find come any come on part. I, was, I was trying to steal a joke come on All give, right. give me a break we're amongst friends here. Keep, sorry, sorry, go <laughs> on. Um, you know, in, in in Judaism, that's actually a great sin. If you say like, um, you know, I'm gonna steal that line, that's called genevas das. No, no,
0: no, no, no. I was supplying the reference to show what a, what an erudite, uh, I know, I know. You know yes, right. exactly.
2: Okay. Um, right. So, so getting. What do you make of this asymmetry that people like our friend Sabina, or others will will say, I don't have the time, you know, to uh, to even Proxies. learn about Weinberg, uh, sorry, uh, Weinstein or Wolfram or or Garrett Lisi or now Peter White. A lot of W's in there, by the way. But uh, but she'll make a music video about it. You know, I love you, Sabina. But but you know, you, you, she has time. You know, it takes a lot of time to do this stuff. But, but I want to ask you, what do you make of this uh, of this lack of, and even Peter White on Lex Friedman's uh, uh, podcast not too long ago when he was uh, down there in Austin, Texas. Shout out to Lex. Uh, he might be listening. Um, and I was honored to go on the show and hopefully that'll air in the near uh, new year. But, um, but with Lex, he, you know, Lex asked him point blank, like, what do you think of Eric's theory? And he's like, oh, I don't know enough about it. And it was kind of the standard BS. I'm sorry. I, I'm a little sick of people saying they don't have the time for stuff. I, as an experimentalist, made a joke that my theorist friends in the fifth floor of Mayor Hall didn't find very funny, but I was like, you could tell that the pandemic's coming to an end. This is before Omicron, uh, because the theorists are back. Their theorist offices are back to the usual state of, of, of solitude and emptiness, um, meaning that you know they they kind of do things. But we experimentalists, we have to come up with payroll, and I have a half million dollar a month payroll. I have to come. You have a job. Yeah, and and we I have my friend Lee Cronin is in the audience. He has the same kind of payroll. We're experimentalists. We're building stuff. We're going to Chile. We're going to Germany. We're going to uh, raise funds and that and Stuff in Washington D.C. Yep. Um, I said, if you don't have time, like
0: who's going to have but time? But Brian, that's not it's not real. What is you it? know that it's not
2: real. All right, well, tell me what it is.
0: Well, it's that
1: <laughs> it,
0: it, this is super uncomfortable. I don't like being the person who's both explaining what's going on and the person putting forth the theory. It's not it's not fun. So let's
2: ignore GU and just say no, generally no, speaking. Okay. Why doesn't Sabina look at Peter White's theory?
0: Well, in general, the idea is that it takes on some responsibility that as you take on a theory and you start to look at it and try to understand what the person is doing you might have to acknowledge oh that's a that's a cool point that's new that's interesting or i don't understand this or i don't know whether it solves the problem that the person is claiming or seems to be claiming Mm -hmm. uh and so in part Everybody's guarding their reputations or they're attacking people's reputations. And I think it's really important to notice that the whole point of academics was to get people beyond this. Can't we give you a credential and vet you enough that we can trust you? Hmm. And the situation with respect to, let's say Peter White's theory, right? Peter White has a really interesting idea. He didn't say it this way, but he said the strong force has a collection of symmetries that looks very, very strange. It doesn't, it's not a, the weak force and the electromagnetic force have symmetries that are commonly found in all sorts of systems. But the strong force has this set of symmetries called SU3. Let's make that the centerpiece of a theory. Mm-hmm. And what we'll do is we'll take that and we'll stick it inside of. Uh, something called U4, and we'll quotient U4 by U3. We'll get the strong force out automatically. And then there'll be a version of space-time with four spatial dimensions and zero temporal dimensions, and one with one time dimension and three space dimensions. We can, we've can we had this puzzle about wick rotation from one into the other. We'll use the fact that the SO4 uh, part that looks like four space-time dimensions has an asymmetry between its left and its right factors he does a lot of interesting stuff to come up with a suggestive stylistic uh, picture for why the world is in part the way it is. And he doesn't go on to claim that it's. he's got three generations in the model of uh, of matter. But the point is it takes, I don't know, an hour and a half to sort of really grok not only what he's doing, but why he's doing it. And now I'm a part Oh, an hour a and a half, with-
2: sorry. I, I didn't know it was an hour and a half, sorry. Uh, I retract my, my concerns.
0: Well, <laughs> I, you, you can do it a lot faster if you wanted just a cursory <laughs> overview, right? But yeah. in part, the, the real thing that nobody's saying is we don't take any of these people seriously. If you're claiming that you're making progress, you're lying. And
2: we in would fact, never do not, this in experiment.
0: We would never do this in experiment. Oh, well, I understand, but
2: things have gone insane. Why is that, though, work? Is it because we value secretly value theoretical physicists more than experimental physicists? Well, oh.
0: sure. There's a way in which we value theoretical physics when it works more than we value generic experimental physics when it works.
2: Who would you rather Why have on your interplanetary rocket ship, a theorist or an experimentalist?
0: Well, first of all, we haven't always had to choose. We've had Enrico Fermi's in our in our midst, right? So That's true. One, I don't want to get into, I don't want to, one more version of Bloods versus Crips, right? <laughs> East They're Coast, all welcome at my Shabbat. Tip,
2: Coast right? here, I'm throwing up the shin symbol. Uh, I, I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Is, is this a gang sign? The shin now? gang, yeah, the most yeah, yeah, feared
2: yeah. gang. on it. Okay, go ahead. Uh,
0: but that's not really what's happening. What's happened is that we've stopped believing in ourselves. We don't believe that there will be an Einstein in a post office. We don't believe that there will be a Galileo threatened by a Pope. We're sort of reenacting all of these things uh, as theater. And I think what you see that's really disturbing to me is that uh, I don't care for Stephen Wolfram's approach, but I'm certainly glad he's doing it. And I'm glad that somebody is saying, let's take the discreet more seriously than we take The continuum. I mean, the continuum to me is the salient clue in many ways. But the fact is, somebody should take the other bet. Mm -hmm. Somebody should say, well, maybe the universe is more like a computer, you know, not just to get money out of Silicon Valley, but, you know, because in fact, um, information is a different basis than we've had uh, previously for trying to understand the physical world. And what I don't understand is. By stepping out of the academic, you know, i I can say I'm a podcast host. I'm a, I'm a mathematician. I wasn't even trained as a physicist or really trained as a math, well, whatever. I'm an MD <laughs> at Teal Capital. Um, what's really happening is, is that you guys in theory don't believe in each other and you're trying to take each other out. Anybody who's doing an isolated thing like Wolfram or white or myself or Julian Barbour or Garrett Lisi or whoever, um, I can find things like, you know, Garrett and I have talked for, for ages about his theory. I don't believe in it. It's not dumb on a bunch of different levels. I don't think it hangs together. But the fact is, is that.
2: But your criticism re- of him is an act of love. It is an act of love that you are going to take him seriously and you're going to actually confront. No, but it's
0: not just an act of love. And it's, it's it's like the reason I tear you apart is because I love you so much. That's why you beat me. Yeah. but. No, I'm so freaking sick of all of these stupid Twitter answers. You know, it's like anything that sounds like sophisticated on Twitter usually fails in real life. Uh, I, I I like Garrett a lot, and I, I've got a, a lot of love for him as a Me human too. being. And we've hung out a lot. I don't think his theory works. It doesn't mean that it can't work one day, or they can't remove some of these issues. But I think that stylistically. It's got tons to recommend it over one more drone looking at Kalabi-Yau manifolds uh, as part of a string theory program. Or, you know, yet the the 12 millionth paper on Ashtakar variables, uh, you know, in a new light. And and so in part, and I I think, you know, we actually have to note that Sabina in her older incarnation was positive about the fact that people were spreading out. I don't know what's happened to Sabina recently. I'm very disturbed by some of the stuff that I'm seeing, but she's historically been- that in some sense, it, it appears to be much more reflexive and sweeping. And I think that, you know, in part, she was much more cautious, more careful, more subtle, more nuanced. And it, it's become kind of the, oh, please, uh, model. And I, I, I think that the, the the first version of Sabina was doing a tremendous favor to the field that the field did not repay. And I think that there got to be some bad blood. And, and you know, I watch as people sort of go into these intellectual... Um, smaller worlds because some bad thing happens to them and they overreact Mm -hmm. i think it's really important to recognize that we needed to give sabina more love when she was the conscience of the community and she was saying things that we didn't want to hear and and then gradually Mm -hmm. yeah gradually it's going to become why should we spend money on accelerators Or why are the theories of everything or why is it always men who are pestering me with their grand dreams and you know this is stupid it's not at the same level um as the rest of Sabina's critique and in part what I what I'm looking to do is to say I looked at Peter White's theory because I believe in my own and I looked at Garrett's because I believe in my own and it's not my belief in my own theory isn't um you know I don't need it for a meaningful life it's a guess it's a shot on goal and all of these things are not true some of them might have some salvageable parts, They're but listening. in general, these attempts to guess what the what the fundamental structure is are not being listened to by anyone. Like I will claim that Peter White, likely nobody on planet Earth almost, is really reading it, taking it seriously, and thinking about it. And the same thing is true with Garrett. And the same thing is true with Stephen Wolfram and Julian Barbour. Maybe in Wolfram's case, because there's money there, there's a little bit more. And I've learned that, okay, this this thing about trying to signal that it's not all about money doesn't actually work in a world that believes that everything is about money. So it may be that I have that wrong as well. But I, I do believe that what we're seeing is that people aren't trying to take these things seriously in a positive idiom. The only thing people are doing is they're saying, well, maybe Jacques Disler and Garibaldi can take out Garrett Lisi. It's like the kill shot. And I think that the kill shot is killing interesting science yeah. why are you looking to dispose of people you know in combat we refer to this as pink mist oh you got dragged you got owned the pawnage is extreme we need to get these people out of the academy and out of the sciences uh i should say that i once watched somebody destroy his career over lunch by coming into the mit cafeteria and badmouthing a professor named arthur Maddock, who i believe is now now gone And um, I was very close with a very senior member of that department. And without getting into the details, uh, maybe I'll do it later when I feel more ready to. Uh, He told me that it was not worth it to have a a rotten colleague um, spewing bile in a department because it was going to have the effect of taking down the entire department to allow that kind of poison at MIT Mathematics. And I think that it's a really interesting... Um, cautionary tale, that the old guard understood that collegiality was a resource needed to do research. If you don't have collegiality, if you go for these kill shots, you're not gonna get anything done because there's a level of trust. If you think about the RNA tie club, where you had mostly physicists trying to figure out the structure of the genetic code, which they failed to do. Marshall Nirenberg eventually did it. But you had all these great names like Teller and Feynman and Gamoff and Watson and Crick. Crick, of course being a trained as a physicist and they shared their ideas because they knew there was enough for everyone and like i don't know more than half of them i think ended up with uh with, with medallions to show for it and I, I just i think it's really important that we drive the anti-collegial out of the field and, and let them know that they can do something else with, with their lives they can become tabloid journalists uh they can become uh you know professional stark uh Podcasters or something, but I think it's really important to recognize that we have to read each other's research with a different eye, and I do think that somebody like Peter White needs to be taken seriously, and i i I'm, I'm super disappointed that he fell back on something that he you know he's got my number, he has an idea of what I work on. He doesn't want the responsibility of saying, "Oh, I think Eric's on to something or I think Eric's full of it right uh, and you know i think I think in the last year um or at least at least since april 1st uh, 2021 i haven't had a single physicist talk to me about my rash my reasons for believing in three generations that there are only two and there's a third imposter generation you can just break that out of gu and say huh we have this puzzle why there are three copies of matter and you've given an explanation let's talk about it so what i can tell you is It's not that we're not interested in. We've we've come to understand that taking an interest in the physical world as a theory, as a a pursuit, is too dangerous to your reputation. You spend all this time accumulating a reputation, and then you're given the opportunity to try to add new ideas. And mostly what you're gonna have is the possibility of immolating yourself uh, if you do anything original. And this is crazy and i think what we have to recognize is is that we have to restore collegiality by being minorly anti-collegial to the really anti-collegial among us and we need to show them the exit and we need to you know give them uh you know a few a few days worth of uh food before we put them on the ice ice floe but ultimately they don't belong in our subject because they're too costly and they don't contribute enough
2: when I look at how many people are, you know, coming up with with purported solutions, it, it can't avoid evade my notice that pretty much all of you folks who are engaged in this are not <laughs> you people. You people. <laughs> Some of my best friends are theor but you're not. You're not. Per, you know. You're not. You don't have academic freedom. You're not tenured. Uh, you know. In other words, the people no, that are no, have no I have academic freedom. Yeah, no, no, but I'm saying like Peter is not an academic. He's not a tenured professor. Sabine is not a tenured professor. Why is Peter not an academician? What, no, I'm, let me let me finish. Uh, what I'm saying is, the people that have the uh, the freedom to investigate these things, the Wittens, et cetera, uh, you know, the ultimate, are not investigating it. And the people that don't have, you know, permanent positions, shall we say, in the academia setting, uh, such as you, uh, Peter. Uh, Peter's a you know he's uh, he's a lecturer. Uh, he's a, he's an affiliated you know researcher, but he's not a tenured professor, as far as he I also understand. He runs
0: the IT system for Columbia's mathematics department. That's and great. I'm just things- saying
2: he's not a tenured professor. There's a difference. I know, between tenure. But we
0: have. I'm a not situation. saying better or
2: worse. I'm just saying, uh, Garrett. Let's take Garrett. Garrett's not a, a yeah. tenured professor, right? Um, but all you guys who who actually have a lot to at risk. In other words, you're you're not fully backed by tenure, as am I or Ed Witten. Uh, and I'm not comparing myself, but just to say that you would expect the reverse. The people that have this freedom to take it. And I've often thought that you know, in in physics, it's 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 a it's a deep question. Should we really have tenure for for physicists? I mean, it's very different than you know a journalist or or so, and I'm not even saying that we should have it you know whoa, I certainly whoa, whoa, don't whoa. think we should have it in our in our public no we
0: should fix tenure tenure meaningful tenure was taken away from you guys in 1953 by the American associate the Association of American Universities, yeah. the AAU, aau when they backed away from their communist professors or anyone claimed to be a communist professor saying communists did not deserve academic protection right right so basically the universities caved to Joe McCarthy in 1953 and then you guys have been not very good at getting enough funding, getting enough insulation um, to defend the universities. And quite, ang- quite honestly, I'm furious with the professor, not you in particular, because you're, you're, you're bold enough to have me on, which is a huge thing. But the real problem is the number of, um, you know, I was, just, I was just in the physics department at the University of Chicago. And I was talking to some of the senior people and they said, oh, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion is, a, is like a tax you know, and I was thinking, well, why don't you speak out against it if you don't believe in it? It's like, oh, because it's too expensive not to pay the tax. I said, well, then it's a protection racket. right? If you can't speak out as a professor, then you've failed. And you've failed to protect the universities as the citadel in which we hope to have our sense-making apparatus. So partially I'm furious that people haven't followed the Serge Langs of Yale University uh, you know, these people cared and they would tell you to go screw off if you came after professors and just, you know, the story that I was telling him, the senior mathematician who said we will not have a uh, member of our faculty who goes after other members of our faculty and, and spreads bile and poison. The system has to be defended. Mm. So my question is, what is Ed Witten doing to defend the system from, um, let's say, you know, a colleague he deeply disagrees with? Uh, is he speaking out, or is or is he quiet? I, I hear people speaking out in safe ways. You can you can badmouth Israel, for mm-hmm. sure. That's a safe way to speak out. But I don't know that you can easily, um, you know, really really talk about what's going on in the field. And so I, the way I look at it is, is that uh, the AAU started this problem. The professors have become weak. We had champions like Serge Lang. Uh, we haven't replaced them. Um, it's important, for example, to realize why the uh, eulogy for Abdus Salam was written in Arabic uh, by Yuval Neiman, who's a right-wing Israeli physicist and politician. Mm-hmm. It's because there was a, a sense in which we were all above these things. The collegiality was a, was a was a force to be reckoned with. You could beat the crap out of someone with collegiality, like ending a tenure bid uh, if you were anti-collegial, and. What I see is, is that we've abandoned our culture. We don't know, you know, as you know, Judaism has a a strong prohibition against gossip. Yep. You know, it's like blow on a dandelion. Now please, you know, go go gather the seeds. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't defend our culture. And so we're not our culture anymore. We're not the culture of Dirac or of Einstein or of Schwinger.
2: Do you think that's a reflection of the of the broader political polarization? I mean, I, I was listening to I think on Lex's show with Tim Dillon. I, I know he's maybe not a, a good a good he's friend. A friend of mine. Yeah, okay, good, good. So I, I don't know your nature anyway. And he was he, he, he like, makes
0: jokes that other people latch onto, and I have to deal with the problem that he's like, oh, I don't understand. I made a joke. I'm a but Yes, you make a joke, but then what happens is is that. The jokes become harassment by a bunch of people who aren't really very funny. But Tim, right. I don't know that I have a problem with Tim.
2: Okay. So anyway, I think to Lex, he said something. You know, like in 2000, the 2000 election when uh, when there was this contested battle between Gore and Bush. You know, I, I remember coming into work and my, and my boss, my late boss, terribly Andrew Lang said, You know, I'm I'm just checking to see if we have a country left anymore. And like the exact same words were said. You know, like right after the 2020 election. But it was like serious. Like I don't know if we have a country anymore. Like how. How much has changed in society over 20 years is just insane and I wonder like I've noticed in collegiality too when I started graduate school in the 90s it was normal, like we were. It did feel like uh, everything was open. It was just after Kobe discovered the the fossil imprint of the uh, of the anisotropy in the microwave background that was crying out for an explanation. This is
0: Kobe Bryant, the
2: famous basketball player. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. No, this is C O B E. You've you have got to say these you, things. Come on, you you're you're proving that you're that you're a youngster. You're a gen gen. Q or, or you're, anyway, you're Gen Iota anyway uh, the point being that we have this society that is, is riven with hostility with, with with like these kill shots these pawnings and and so but it's in the political realm and like you know January 6th or, or you know the country it was almost over and we're ended and democracy died and dark and, blah, blah, blah. and like the stakes seem so high and then the joke in academia used to be like the fights are so intense because the stakes are so low yeah but um, that was
0: always the wrong Statement.
2: I think it's wrong too because the stakes at a meta level are couldn't be higher if we don't if we lose the educational system. Um, so I, I want to talk to you about another idea that I've been kind of uh, you know floating kicking around in my mind, <clears throat> which is has to do with blockchain. And uh, I want to just tell people Eric's wallet address are the middle 20 digits of pi. So if you want to make him a deposit, he's open. Just, just the middle digits of pi, Eric. Okay, he's not laughing. Uh, anyway, uh, the the point being what are the opportunities for, let's say, and I saw a tweet by uh, Andrew Huberman over the summer, uh, something like, oh, look, get ready for the next, uh, you know, thing in science is gonna be like, look down my microscope and get my NFT, and that's the next big thing in science to fund private research and, and even public research. I found that horrifying, like um, in, in a sense that, first of all, we've already paid a tremendous amount to the US right. government, those of us who pay taxes, um, for for these discoveries and for the laboratories and for the training of the scientists. Well, right. Yeah. Turn
0: it all down is coming. Yeah. What? Excuse Burn me? When wow. people will not defend the universities, they will not defend our public schools. Mm-hmm. There's no moment where some, somebody in a position of authority says, enough. The New York Times is not meant to be a propaganda instrument. The universities are not meant to be indoctrination camps. Science is not meant to be a postmodernist free for all. There is a concept of mustn't there are things you mustn't do. You're permitted to do them. They're, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily illegal. And it's not a question that you shouldn't do it, like all things being equal, I wouldn't do that if I were you. There's just things that you mustn't do. So the most frequent example I give is, you should be allowed to burn the flag and you must not burn the flag.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's, not, it's not really, well, aren't I free to burn it? Yep. If I call it self-expression, are you telling me I can't, re- yeah, you can, but you mustn't. Well, where does this mustn't come from? It's kind of a first principles thing. It's part of our culture. It's part of the oral Torah. If we don't start exercising adulthood in terms of a culture, in terms of getting rid of these problems, people are taking away a very different message, which is that every institution is over, that everyone who, all there is is money. There is no concept of a compact or an agreement or an understanding that isn't enforceable. A lot of what's going on with the blockchain is blockchain is, is people talking about it. how do you deal with zero trust. Um, so right now mm-hmm. what we keep wanting to show is that everyone is bankrupt. Brian, you just love money. You went into physics for the money. You know, it's like I, I don't even know what to make of these things.
2: No um, podcasting. I went into the podcasting for the likes well, and the follow-ons. you know. I
0: just had somebody today from Google tell me uh, you know read the room, Eric. Nobody wants to talk about UFOs. We're we're locked down with Omicron, and like. Everybody says, actually, that's exactly what I want to talk about. We've got, we've got this deranged um, set of easy answers. And mm-hmm. those of us who believe in nuance and intelligent civic life have to stand up and say, we're not doing this anymore. We need to create a, an expectation that you can sit down at a dinner without having somebody uh, you know, pee in your food or throw a pie in your face or try to steal your wallet. Um, and you know what like what we were talking about, the entire University of California system has gotten rid of standardized testing. Well, let me just say something about that as a as a dyslexic, as a learning disabled guy, uh, if you want to use that language, that was my only ticket to college. I couldn't prove that I had a brain in my head using grades um my executive functioning wasn't there i don't even know if we used words like that when i was (laughs) in high school Um, so what you just did is you just took away the dreams of a bunch of people who were not doing very well in high school but had one way of demonstrating that maybe there were something called teaching disabilities right and okay so now you just took the entire university of california why well because people of color aren't good at math uh bullshit. Not only are Asians good at math, I think black kids can be good at math too. Yeah. Um the whole thing is so confused. And where were we? Where did when did we stand up en masse and say over my dead body, you morons, get the educators out of education. We've got a serious problem. There's way too much ideology. I, I think that the problem, Brian, is is that nobody believes in tenure because nobody's exercising tenure almost. We had this guy Abbott uh, invited from University of Chicago to MIT, right. you know, and then he's, told, he's uninvited. Well, more or less, we've got to start shutting down universities that aren't universities. And, if, and if, if our universities are not going to be universities, if they're not going to be citadels of learning, if they're going to be all about um, babying wrong ideas because we're all terrified that we're going to get called a bigot, a misogynist, transphobic, Islamophobic, et cetera, et cetera, it would be better that we not have these structures. Now, when it comes to this issue of NFTs, um, yes, we we, we had a great situation in which the the federal government effectively paid for universities through overhead. It was a very complicated cryptic system that was worked out, that wasn't open, wasn't honest, but it it worked at a certain level. And we had tenure and we had an ability for people to earn a living and survive. Now everybody is terrified that they're going to be uh disinvited deplatformed they're going to lose their grants they've got to submit things into this weird peer review um, black box Uh, and the whole thing is unconscionable so my feeling is we need to get the best parts of the university system out and off of the titanic before it sinks so titanic university is going to go under based on the poisoning of academic life and it's important to recognize that universities contain some things that aren't done anywhere else in our civilization, except for maybe a few institutes like Perimeter or the Institute for Advanced Study. We've got to go rescue the best stuff before the Taliban take over the art museum and start smashing idols, you know, which are, which are our statues. We've got to – we saw this in Iraq with ISIS. It literally happened. We saw it with the Bamiyan Buddhas in in, in Afghanistan. Do you think
2: this is coming from without uh, to to destroy the American academic system from within?
0: We are are executing a self-extinguishing program. This is like antinatalism at the level of a country. We're not going to have something to pass that's worth passing to our children. There may still be a country. It may still have a Department of Motor Vehicles. But what this country is supposed to do is to rid itself in some sense progressively over of its baby fat, over you know decades and decades, and become the thing that it was always imagined to be. It was it didn't start off as a particularly just place. I actually have some sympathies with the idea of, of saying let's look at the uh, 1619 as a as an important date in American history. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we forgot. But I think one of the things that was really important is that we forgot how this country has progressed Doesn't and it. how it's gotten rid of its own Demons. immorality mm-hmm. uh, progressively, almost over uniquely.
2: Time. Yeah, almost uniquely amongst... Well, Amongst Western civil, I mean, fighting to end the Civil War, uh, to end slavery. I, I think,
0: yeah, I think Britain has gotten a lot kinder as it's gotten a lot less powerful. Sure, that's um, a burden you know, that we have,
2: right? Um, but let me right, pivot but, back to the original question, which had to do with opportunity. Because I, I don't, you know, I see, I see our mutual friend Lex is in the audience. You know, he he doesn't like it when we're too negative, right? So l- l- let me talk about opportunities uh, going forward. Twenty twenty two is upon us in about a week. <clears throat> uh, what are you looking forward to? And in particular, you know, not. Are there opportunities, for example, if there is a way in uh, utilizing the blockchain or something like that? Are there opportunities to benefit? Uh, so, you know, I hear a lot about Web three, and I made a joke that like, uh, like Albert Einstein, like I don't know with what weapons you know World War three will be fought, but I know World War four will be fought with sticks and stones. And I said, yeah, you know, I don't know with what technology uh, yeah, Web five three will be. NFTs. I said, <laughs> I said Web three. I don't know what Web three will be built on, but Web four will be built on AOL CDs and uh, and and twenty five k DSL. Yeah. But in, in all seriousness, what opportunities can can such a technology? It's obviously incredibly powerful. Well, it's huge.
0: Yeah, but we're, we're going to go through a period right now where Jack is trying to focus us on Web 2 mm-hmm. and Mark Andreessen is trying to focus us on Web 3. <laughs> and part of the problem is is that Web 2 and Web 3 both depend on profit to bootstrap themselves into existence. And then you have the Bitcoin versus non-Bitcoin version of crypto. Yeah. And I think that a lot of good can be done and a lot of harm will be done. Uh, using the blockchain. I think making things immutable, trying to use math rather than violence. Eventually, uh, math will come to resemble mm-hmm. violence. Uh, if, if you consider it, the state is a monopoly on violence, as per Weber's famous definition of what a government is, mm-hmm. um, I think that in part, you'll, you'll find people including things in the blockchain that we desperately want to remove, but we can't get rid of. We're headed into some very weird place where lots of good things are going to happen and lots of bad things are going to happen and we're going to be spun and sold things. I saw Naval Ravikant ask the question, can you please explain Web3 is not a a Ponzi scheme because my mom is worried that that's what I'm getting involved with. And Naval said, oh, absolutely, it's a Ponzi scheme. But this time it's our Ponzi scheme. Every generation gets one, Um, which I think is just some, you know.
2: That's the American dream.
0: I don't know. I don't know how to do... The problem is whatever, whatever is going to be making people money is going to have boasting rights until it fails. Mm-hmm. And it's like when mortgage-backed securities, uh, you know, took part in what was what was called the Great Moderation. We 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 hailed Alan Greenspan as an oracle and as a deity. And where did that go? And that's what we're going to do right again with NFTs with the blockchain. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue to build golden idols. Uh, and. Each calf is going to disappoint us if we don't see it for what it is. And I guess what my concern is is that Bitcoin fixes this, or Bitcoin fixes everything, which is its more extreme version, is a really dangerous idea. And the same way, you know, um, the NFTs are being sold in a cult-like fashion. This is normal, but it's also destructive. You know, the railroads were probably sold as, "Oh my God, you're not going to believe it! We're going to be able to connect the coasts, and you'll be, you know, at your at your cousins in California in in days rather than weeks." Okay, fine. These things are needed to build the railroads, Um, but then it it always comes to pass that we come to see things in a different light. And if you're swept up in the NFT madness, if you're making a fortune or if you're about to lose one, uh, this is sort of one thing. I think that the thing that's concerning me is the extent to which people are saying, oh, your funding isn't working, move to the blockchain. So for example, I put a tip jar um, on my Twitter page Mm -hmm. because someone told me that micropayments were the future and I didn't believe it. And so I've had it open for a few months and I've made almost 30 bucks uh, with over half a million followers. And so I think that this is partially nonsense and I think people should actually open their tip jars to figure out what their future is. I actually is. I
2: actually had a tweet about I said, well, you know, which may, has made you more money? Uh have has it been your Substack, your uh, tip jar, your clubhouse tipping or, or or something or else or your or your dot E T H domain and uh, basically, they all add up to about, uh, you know, about zero, except for the people that are, you know, running it, selling the Ether domains. And, and I'm not against it. I think, you know, I, I look at these things, Eric, and I look at it as a positivist. I, I want to see. It's cool. It's fun to do this. Look, doing I don't need to do podcasts. Uh, I mean, I, I'm remunerated nicely by the state of California. Uh, it's fun for me to do it. I enjoy talking to people like you. I probably wouldn't have met you, by the way, if it wasn't. Or I met you a long time ago, thanks to Stefan. But we wouldn't have gotten, you know, kind of engagement that, that you and I have and the fun that we have, um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't really trade that for anything, and so.
0: But I would take it back into the citadel if I could. Okay, go ahead. In other words, in other words, I'm on the web, uh, in part because it's an opportunity, to disintermediate the gatekeepers, but you have to realize that it's a cesspool out here, um, or, or, or more <laughs> it's a thankless.
1: Maybe,
0: yeah. Maybe I'll say it differently. It's it's a uh, it's a bathroom in a in a gas station, and. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little bit better maintained, sometimes it isn't. When you gotta go, you gotta go. But it's not a place that you would want to hang out if you had other choices. And I believe that if our physics departments and our math departments, if our pedagogy, if our schools, if our civic uh, and civil society was in better shape, um, the constant need to get around somebody's idiocy, I mean, you you saw it with Joe Rogan interviewing Sanjay Gupta it was just like trying to say no no no, you guys lied that i was taking horse dewormer it's like well perhaps perhaps that was a little started. we didn't
2: clarify it then <laughs> I'm the, I'm the, I'm the,
0: yeah right it's just like you mother f's cut the crap you, you're just making everybody distrust everything so when i claim they're coming to burn it all down brian i'm quite serious about it the younger people are watching us as adults and they're saying my god why would anyone read a newspaper Why would anyone join a political party? Why would anyone wanna go to school? And I don't have great answers for them. I just think we should save what works from something that's sinking. And what I find fascinating is that no matter how much I talk about the need to insulate science with money and to make professors rich enough that they can afford not to go along with Anthony Fauci and Peter Daszak or Ed Witten, right? So we can get independent, minds speaking up to get rid of this the sort of sinking each other's theories uh not because we're trying to actually make them better but because it's just fun to be a dick i don't hear anyone coming back from the world of people with money and it's, it's fascinating to me it's like i don't think one person with a 10 figure, figure 11 or 12 figure um asset base finds this interesting it's not that they don't hear me. They, they very, very often clap well, me on uh, the that's back. That's I mean,
2: you personally met Jim Simons this summer. He personally invited you out to, to Long Island to spend – I think he's very interested in – but no, no, he no. may be he, the exception. He is.
0: He is but he, he, he did ask me, uh, do you have your own funding? I mean, it's just there, – there's some point at which uh, – I have to <laughs> – yeah. The, we, we, we have stuff that's cheap, that's inexpensive. What what theory is relative to what it takes to keep you, uh, you know, amused with your toys? Yeah. Theory is a tiny fraction of this. That's true. We aren't even immunizing journalists. Journalism is cheap. Um, you know, I, I'm not a journalist. I'm not. I'm not advocating that we make journalists rich because I'm trying to get rich. Uh, maybe I should become a journalist to become rich if that works. Mm-hmm. But we are not immunizing anyone. We, more or less, the people with FU money have zipped their lips, you know, or they're apologizing to China constantly. Or, um, you know, we have people who have real courage, who are advertising things, uh, you know, or, or keeping a sub stack, which is gated. I, I always find it funny when Twitter says to me, um, do you want to read the article first? And it's like, right. well, there's a paywall on that article. I tried to read
2: it. <laughs> And it, then it, it says, be careful. Possible. Things get heavy sometimes. Well, well yeah. Like but my it's mother. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, well, don't you realize people are going to die if we don't
0: do something? This is about, you know, COVID. And you say, well, why don't we lift all the paywalls so we can
2: read the articles? Or, no, you know, yeah, can I, is it okay to ask you about Jeffrey Epstein and the Maxwell trial? Sure. Okay. What, what, what do you make of that as, first of all, I want to know the, it's unlike any trial I've ever witnessed. And I obviously haven't paid, you know, the, the logarithm of much attention and knowledge that you have, but walk us through what, what is going on there? It's, it's excluded. There aren't even like court oh. sketchers in the, what do you well, think no, is going, normal. let me ask you a question. What do you think is going on? Why is the narrative being crafted as it is? Who, ha, qui bono and quo vadis? Uh, what, oh, what's yeah. going on here? To this is an Hebrew, interesting
0: question. I, I don't think, um, I don't think that, uh, the, the fact that there is no video in the courtroom is is interesting. You know it, it, that that's normal. Um, I think you see some very interesting subtle subtle stuff. One is that most of what I've been hearing about is Jeffrey Epstein's uh, relationships with um, girls who are on the verge of becoming women, and that's important and it's interesting. But forgive me for saying so. Uh, If you take a a relatively, um, I don't know, experienced uh, 17-year-old and a 12-year-old who maybe hasn't gone through puberty, um, and you say, well, those are the same thing because it's all children and something magically happens on an 18th birthday, I think you're not being honest about the horror uh, I feel like what we just had is we had a bunch of uh, girls in high school um, who you know, he shouldn't have been doing anything with. I, I personally believe we can respect the 18 line without much of an issue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the issue isn't really uh, pervy behavior about a rich guy with uh, high school juniors and seniors. Uh, I've shown pictures of Jeffrey Epstein with like a 12 year old on his lap. And I've noticed that in FBI footage of Jeffrey Epstein's Florida place, there are pictures um, which are kind of hard to see on the walls, which have stuff at a much, we're talking about a sick, sick, sick human being. Um, And we are not talking about it in real terms because we're afraid, right? Like it's terrifying to say, Oh, there's a big difference between a 12 year old and a, uh, An a, a sexually adventurous seventeen-year-old. I, I know that'll be misconstrued, but honestly, we don't love our kids enough to say what's true. I don't think that we've gotten into the issue of how uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Like I tried to dig into what, do, how do we protect these people uh, if they're part of CIA programs? We just had this release of information that people who have been in in, in child sex crimes uh, not being prosecuted by. Right if they're if they're members of the cia Mm uh we have some sort of an informal structure that we need to blow up right now i believe that this is about sources and methods i believe that when the intelligence community says sources and methods there is an agreement effectively with our prosecutors not to proceed and my feeling is no you lost you ran an enormous operation almost certainly uh, Mm -hmm. that people could trip over It was a bad operation, it was a dumb operation. It wasn't even ultimately an effective one because it wound up in the middle of the public square. And right now you're intimidating all of us. And how are you doing it? Probably through privilege. My guess is is that we should look at something called investigative privilege, like attorney-client privilege. How do you keep documents out of the public? I believe that we have various forms of privilege that are being used in an exotic fashion. I believe that we have something called an event deconfliction system. Uh, you should look up something called um, Case Explorer, I believe, or Safety Net. There are a bunch of these systems. I believe that this is what is called a. I've been told it's called a blue-on-blue incident, where local law enforcement trips over right. something at the federal level or that's protected. Uh, we, we had an AP reporter ask Alex Acosta what he meant by the fact that Epstein belonged to intelligence, and he gives this weird rambling answer that he clearly prepared. Um, we have not seen the records from Villard House, uh, which account for a hedge fund, which I claim never existed. Uh, I don't believe that when we say disgraced financier that we're telling the truth. I believe what you're watching is, is that somehow there is there has to be a system to keep the CIA and and, uh, other agencies um, from being uh, discovered by local law enforcement. And um, if they're undercover, if they're running a front company, whatever that system is, is showing you in real time how to do something in full view of everyone where not that much is occurring. I don't think that the prosecution was particularly spirited. I don't think that the allegations uh, that really matter, which is, is this state protected, uh, seem to be front and center. I don't really understand what the relationship between, uh, you could make an argument that one member of the prosecution should have recused uh, his or herself uh, based on connections to the government uh, that are in the family. Uh, I don't think that we've talked enough about um, Mm 12-year-olds and very young people, and I think that you're watching uh, a mopping up operation where the information that leaked into the public is being handled as what was one, at one time called a limited hangout. And my feeling is, is that this is probably the intelligence community screwing up in full view of the world. And we should recognize that when you screw up, you lose rights. We should probably take power away from the intelligence uh, community and whatever this uh, this agreement or understanding to use various forms of privilege to keep these things out of the courts, um, hmm. I actually subscribe to the idea that when it's working correctly, we should be doing this. But the problem that I'm having, and I'll be very clear about it, I don't think there is any reason ever for using a 12-year-old in a compromise operation in a honeypot as an intelligence gathering as part of the intelligence world. And if we have to do things like that, I'd prefer that we not have countries and just call it a wrap on the human project.
1: Hmm.
0: I think that what, what we're talking about is, I, I know that there is nothing that justifies this. I would prefer that the countries involved simply cease to exist if the only way they can exist is to use exotic sources and methods uh, that have to be protected in, in this fashion that look like this. If 12-year-old girls are being endangered, uh, let's just call the whole thing a wrap.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, before we wrap up, we have to wrap up in about 15 minutes, um, being told by higher powers down here, uh, and I know you've got things to get onto. I want to thank you so much for your time, but I have a couple more topics. Uh, it looks you
0: like want to talk about inflation?
2: I want to talk about inflation. I want to talk about COVID and uh, Fauci and Collins, and, uh, and I want to talk about um, – what what this year meant to you and and highlights uh, from this past year and what you're looking forward to in 2022. Sure. I want to end on a high note, okay? All um, right. So, you know, witnessing all the great stuff that you went through, and, ma- and maybe we'll have to, you know, defer some of those to to the next quarter. Let's let, Maybe we can have a, a dedicated talk about inflation and the economics um, lecture series that you gave in well, Chicago. I'm just worried
0: that the, the world is going to be subjected to something very brutal. And... I really want to alert people, because I don't know when we're going to get to it, mm. that uh, the calculation and uh, understanding of inflation does not belong to economists.
2: Um, I've, should... I've heard you say that. What does that mean? Is this Boskin's commi- What is this?
0: Well, let me, let me just say this. It, it, I, I don't believe that uh, virology belongs to virologists. Right now, I'm very often forced to wear a face mask, check myself constantly. My entire life has been disrupted by a virus. You let a virus get out of a lab potentially, then you lied about it potentially in The Lancet. You got multiple Nobel Prize winners to act as if we're all racist for act- asking the questions. F you, get out of the way. This virus belongs to us all, right? We have to recognize that it's not- And possibly
2: suppress the the vaccine for political reasons a month before the election.
0: I I don't even want to get into it. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. The calculation of inflation does not belong to economists. There's nothing in it that if you have calculus and you have a certain amount of linear algebra, Mm -hmm. you can understand what it is. And right now, for example, the entire Bureau of Labor Statistics, I believe, has claimed that it's moved to a cost of living framework, which has to do with saying, I need to know how much you like coffee relative to tea so that I can figure out what your inflation is if coffee becomes more expensive. And hedonics. And then, mm-hmm. well, it's, it's different than hedonics. No, no, I would additionally. Then, then they said, oh, we don't actually have to compute your tastes and your preferences because of work of a guy named Irwin Dewart or Dewart. And you look at his work, um, he's confused by the Bohm-Aronoff effect. In other words, he, ha- he makes a statement. There's something called the Walsh multi-period circularity uh, test, which is basically going around the Escher st- or Penrose stairs, right? And you sh- you can count that how many steps you go up when you. By the time you come back, you don't actually come back to the same level. Uh, this is known uh, from physics. It's known from mm-hmm. from differential topology and differential geometry to be a real effect. And the person that we're betting our entire calculation of inflation on, in some sense, is a guy who doesn't understand that there's something called the uh, Ambrose-Singer theorem, which states that you should not expect things to come back to normal once you've gone around a, a, a circle. You can, you can look at this in terms of the quantum Hall effect or Barry's phase. This is We all get this. The economists are confused. And just the way, you know, it, sometimes you need biologists to enter linguistics uh, to figure out, well, which languages are really related to each other. We used mm-hmm. to think the Turkish was related to Finnish. It turns out not to be. And you can use genetic analysis in part to sort this
2: out. band turkum band turkum um, You're saying I am a Turk? Yes, for my Turkish friends in the
0: audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, th- then... You, you have a situation, I didn't understand why you were doing that. Um, then you have a situation, uh, you know, in which you have to enter a different field. The physicists had to enter molecular biology. Um, well, the economists have been entering all sorts of fields using what they call economic imperialism, which they've decided is a good thing. They say that we're the only science, we're mathematical, you can hold us up to scrutiny. Okay, I claim that... Uh, You've bet the entire calculation of inflation on the work of a guy named Erwin Diewert or Dewert, mm-hmm. who does not understand that the Walsh multi-period circularity test is negated by something called Ambrose Singer holonomy, right? We've got to get involved and take this stuff away from the economists until they actually understand what it is that they're doing, because what they're using this for is discretion. You can change the baskets of goods. you can change the formula that you're using to compute things with to get any value you want. You want to rotate energy and food in or out. You want to decide that uh, you know, maybe hedonic adjustments uh, to quality are larger or smaller. The more discretion the economists have, the more we are in danger, of having our rates of inflation dialed up and dialed down to Mm -hmm. values that are convenient. And particularly at a time when the money supply has expanded and exploded. By the way, interesting that we exploded the money supply just at the moment we changed the reporting for the series so that if you mention that M1 has exploded, people uh, who are trained in universities will say, oh, you can't go by that because uh, they changed the series Uh, construction. So whenever you're going to change something dramatically in real life, change the formula that you use to construct your series at the same moment. And all of the people with master's degrees will come to your defense uh, that nothing can be said at all. It's just an amazing feat. Right now, we have the Fed commanding that money be printed. And we also have the Bureau of Labor Statistics with way too much freedom to report what the effect of that inflation is. And so my claim is, is that people like us have to get involved in this and not, you have to be prepared to say to a thousand economists, you're wrong, go read the Ambrose Singer theorem. You don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, pivoting to a less controversial subject, COVID, lab mm-hmm. So, over the summer, I coined a term for you, a nickname, a nom de guerre, a nom de plume, that you're the atomic clock, uh, that you are right more times a day than the atomic clock. Um, Now, you know, sometimes when we're on the basketball court, okay. Clearly you haven't talked to my wife, but okay. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Whenever somebody introduces me for a talk, you know, and it's like my Wikipedia biography or something, I always say, yeah, thank you for my mother for writing that entry. And now for the rebuttal, my mother-in-law. No, no, she's (laughs) she's actually a very lovely and uh, loving person. Um, COVID. Let me me see. Um, We talked about, we, we mentioned a virus already. You've been saying longer than anybody, even including your brother, uh, that this had all the patterns of a uh, of an intentional um, byproduct of maybe, perhaps, benevolently intended research. But you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Uh, but this clearly seemed to, and this is back in 2020, early 2020. Um, what what have you, you know, besides the awful kind of you know uh, human costs that we've endured? And accelerating. And now with this new, new variant, like variants aren't going to keep popping up. Um, but but tell me, like, how have you is there one person, you know, people are always asking me, when's Eric going to have the the portal back on? I always say like, I hope, I hope never, because you know, that that means more people will come and watch him on my podcast. But, but <laughs> just kidding about that. But if you had one guest, you know, that would come on. Who would it be? Who would you most like to talk to to get the the straight truth about it? Would it be, you know, Pfizer, you know, CEO? Would it be Eric Topol? Would it be Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins? Who has the answers or can at least shed some light and not just heat, uh, because I know you'd be respectful, but who would you most like to talk to about?
0: It's an interesting question. It would very likely be somebody, well, let's look at what I did do. Mm -hmm. I contacted Mark Potashny. Who's that? Exactly. Not everything that happens, happens on the podcast circuit. Mm -hmm. And so one of the dangers that we have is it's like, okay, would would it be Peter McCulloch or Eric Topol or Peter Atiyah? And like all those people have tons of knowledge, but um, Mark Potashny, who wrote the genetic switch uh, on on phage lambda and T4 bacteriophage, I think, um, is a giant in the field. um, And he's one of these guys who's just completely irreverent, doesn't give a crap. Mm -hmm. He put me in touch with the, uh, I guess the the, one of the discoverers of MRNA early on in this. So part of the problem is, is that there is this podcast circuit Mm. and I I meant that as a framing
2: device, not literally, but
0: yeah, no, I appreciate that. But I also worry that we're all susceptible to the idea that we keep having the same people on air who are public facing, um, you know we both commented that ed witten i think did only one podcast that i'm aware of uh maybe he's done more but he did um the universe speaks in numbers with graham formello was That's a guest right. in your program That's right. and you know he's the big dog um mm-hmm. i would love to. Ha- i would love to see more Nima in the world but Nima's working hard on what is supposed to be doing he's supposed uh, to come uh, on it, to my
2: it, show next year but we'll see
0: inshallah so <laughs> the problem the, prob- out, the problem is I think that what we really need is virologists who are not cowed by Anthony Fauci. We need people with independent money. And I think, uh, one of the reasons I picked Mark Tashney is that he, um, I think he bought a Stradivarius after he founded a biotech company that did well. And he learned to play the Bach double violin concerto when he was like over 40, uh, remarkable guy, very, very honest, brutal, uh, in defense of science. Wow. So, my my concern is that if you take what just happened with Peter McCullough uh, on Joe Rogan and some of these debunkings of him, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think it's disgusting. I think what you have is you have a group of people. There's no way Peter McCullough is is a is a wackadoodle who knows nothing about anything. I, I listen to how much information he has. Uh, I can tell when somebody has a ton of knowledge. He may not be t- entirely truthful and he may say some things that are uh, very inferential and very dangerous and even irresponsible. Hmm. But I found the problem is that what he did was extremely informative and extremely irresponsible at the same time. And there's this whole thing about pick a side, why are you sitting on a fence? it's like, who taught dialectics? Uh, were, were they sick? That, you know, And there was a substitute teacher who taught fence sitting is it the thesis or is it the antithesis? Which is it? <laughs> it's like, shut up. Um, what you have is, is, is that I want to listen to Peter McCullough and I also want to listen to Nick Christakis, mm-hmm. uh, who are very bitterly opposed to each other because in part what people are doing is they're taking their responsible commentary mm-hmm. and they're doping it with irresponsible inference. And almost everyone is doing this. I'm not positive, Brian, that we aren't. You know, there's only yeah. so many times I can say fund your fund your scientists and insulate them. Sooner or later I'm gonna say something crazier. Right? <laughs> because nobody's listening. Right. And I, I really believe that what's happening with COVID is is that we need to get Fauci and Dazic out. This is another one of these things that is almost certainly inferentially to be some sort of a workaround. We signed the Geneva Convention on Biological Weapons, I think, in the 70s. We've needed a workaround because we have to protect ourselves defensively, but we're not allowed to work on this stuff offensively, and offense and defense look the same. So is it any surprise that there's like a really weird uh, infectious disease uh, vibe uh, that combines uh, kindly doctors with bedside manners trying to keep us safe uh, with people scouring the planet for the most dangerous stuff and weaponizing it telling us it is also to keep us safe i think if people will look at the eco health alliance and peter dasik who's blocked me on twitter uh you will see people again i don't hate them i don't I, my guess is that they're part of a program and that program has failed
2: right it might have had legitimate it, origins you know amended but it, amended.
0: it may have had cryptic or it's like i'm not against crypsis in right. the state mm-hmm. but my feeling is is that somebody needed to understand that cryptic behavior on behalf of a government has to be at an entirely different level. If you're going to do a Keystone Cops clown show in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, while you know invoking all of our Nobel laureates to tell us that anyone who questions this is a racist because Anthony Fauci is science itself and Francis Collins needs to play the guitar, poof, coronavirus came from overseas. I mean, it's as bad as It's like, I'm 56 years old, I would be a better head of the NIH or you, or we could just pick my son or your son at 10 (laughs) years old. I don't want people that we can't trust at at any level. Now, I personally would not want that kind of a position. People always ask me, will will you run for something? It's like, no, I'd rather recuse myself. But at at this point, Brian, some of us have to lead. And we've got to say that this isn't science because science is taking it on the chin. I think that, you know, we're in a bad marriage with public health. Public health has been running up our credit card like crazy. And I think it's time for a divorce. Hmm. And we need to say, you know, baby, here's your half of the community property. Go on. Keep spending the I way you've the been books, spending. You get
2: the books. You get the Lambo.
0: Right, whatever. And get the hell out of my house because mm-hmm. I'm trying to do other things. And I think that the problem that we have is, is that... um too much of public health is a gold digger when it comes to science. It wants all of science's respectability. It wants science's respect, but it's not willing to put in the hours. It's not willing to, to, to actually understand, well, how did science get to this position of respect? And it's time for us to say that the educators are not basically uh, scholars, and public health people are not scientists. And where we are is in a terrible situation where, for the most part, we have two stories that don't contain all the truth. There's sort of the crazy plandemic story, which is filled with almost certainly conspiratorial nonsense, but gets right all sorts of errors that we've made, probably in a covert bioweapons program, which isn't that surprising, um, probably around the idea that uh, we put too much stuff. Um, on Chinese supply chains that needed to be inside of the U.S., a giant failing of economists who didn't notice that uh, supposedly efficient things don't aren't efficient when you're having your geostrategic rival manufacture your essential commodities. We, we, we've had a colossal failure of the previous leadership. And I think we need to recognize that we now have the right to investigate whatever we were using to shield Ralph Barak and Peter Daszak. It's like maybe it w- maybe we shouldn't have shielded them at the beginning. Maybe things were working, but when you have a, a, a screw up this colossal, we need to investigate the Lancet. What happened to one of our most respected journals? And uh, I guess that's my 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 biggest concern is that we're going to have these battles. Did you see Peter McCullough on Rogan? Oh, did you see Chris Aukus on Sam Harris? It, it 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 it's a it's embarrassing, and, and both of those guys have truth, and we have to recognize that it's our job to come up with right. a synthesis.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be a battle over podcast uh, conducted not by, by telegraph. But
0: let's get some people who are not podcast guests, who are extremely disagreeable, very, very honest, and highly respected in the world of virology, particularly older people who are at the end of a career, who grew up in yeah, a who have world.
2: FU intellectual capital. That's right. Mm-hmm.
0: Or yeah. who don't have that much time left. Mark's old. And, you know, he's always been courageous. And my claim is, let's look at the people, for example, who ran to the defense of Margot O'Toole when she was being savaged by David Baltimore at MIT. Mm -hmm. Let's see if any of those people are around. And let's get back uh, to people who are willing to take risk on behalf of younger colleagues. Reclaim it.
2: Okay, we've talked about January 6th. We've talked about uh, crypto apocalypse. We've talked about Fauci and uh, COVID. We've talked about... Uh, awful things in the Maxwell case. Um, now, I want to pivot to a hopeful subject. Something, um, something hopeful. The Silurian genocide of 1916. Um, can we talk? No, I'm just kidding. That's a that's a plateau on the surface of Mars. Um, speaking of Mars, and speaking of uh, the next uh, the next year that's approaching us rapidly, approaching at the speed of one-dimensional time. Eric will get that reference. Not many others out there will, <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> what are you looking forward to? Let me recap your year as I saw it as a as a, a Maxwell demon appearing in not the Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine Max. How do you, I don't even know how you say. It. But Ghislaine. That, Ghislaine. Okay, I hope I hope to go through life never knowing how to pronounce that. I saw you doing many things this past year. Starting off with uh, with tremendous you know public kind of um, influence as a um, uh, both through your you know massive followings on Clubhouse and elsewhere you got me onto it uh, one night in your backyard uh, early on in the year uh, helping uh, consult with with many people working through very serious issues and, and becoming one of the most popular people on that platform uh, and then later on in the spring April Fool's Day I had you on uh, you did some other guy named Joe's podcast as I as I understand it yeah but, uh, but you that came, came out after. That's you, right. you got the April first. I got, 1st. I got I the scoop. That. and uh, and and that was a, a huge accomplishment. And I was glad to have an honor to have a tiny, tiny microscopic role in it, but but giving you encouragement to continue that project. I think it's incredibly valuable. Then a few months after that, you got uh, really the world's attention uh, fixated on this issue of UAPs, both from the perspective of perhaps transdimensional uh, teleport, you know, tr- travel, but also for the interest and and actually care as you have for the military and and to take this seriously, and people's you know people's lives and hearts and so forth are at stake. Um, soon after that, your birthday, uh, you were playing guitar on stage in front of. Yeah, at the Ice House, or, I believe, uh, playing. Never happened. Uh, <laughs> playing well, Glass House. The Glass House, playing uh, "Old Town Road" by our friend uh, Little Nas X on stage, uh, and then later on in the year, uh, uh, just contributing in in so many different ways, giving lectures at Chicago and physics and economics. How many people have done that? And uh, so it was a great year for you. And I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering, you know. Uh, how do you top it? What are you looking forward to in 2022? It's going to be a big year for you, for me, for our families. What are you looking forward to next year? Connection. Hmm. Explain.
0: I think that one of the reasons that, um, you know, I I keep wanting to restart the podcast in various ways. Mm. And I guess I keep thinking, please don't, it'll hurt
2: my rating. I'm just kidding.
0: I keep thinking, don't people realize that this wasn't about a podcast than it was. I mean, like, I'm trying to hide behind being an entertainer. But it's like, we have to get up off the couch. we got to do a bunch of stuff. And I think people found that it was entertaining. And I was happy because it was was supposed to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. But it was supposed to be inspiring. It was supposed to inspire people to, you know, like, your money is about to be inflated away by the Fed. Are you going to do anything about it? (laughs) Your government may hold information about uh, UFOs. Do you want it? You have a situation in which uh, our children are imperiled by state protected pedophiles, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Hey, dad's pit forks. What do we think? Torches? I'd be up for it. Um,
2: Standard testing and, and uh, calculus stand, right. and algebra. for. You know, and
0: and so all I hear is, the is, you know, it's supposed to be uplifting. But we'll get to the uplifting part. But what I hear is the, the mouths of termites chewing through uh, our shared infrastructure like the the planet that we live on is a house is being I can hear the termites in the in the drywall hmm. and I'm trying to say we really need to do something and people are like okay Eric what are you going to do <laughs> so what i'm really looking forward to is connection like it, it, i i know for example that if somebody told me hey i know why there are three generations of matter and i was like how sure are you like, i'm not quite sure how sure i am well let's talk about it that's more interesting than what did Kim Kardashian do last week uh, in her relationship with Pete Davidson. I don't care. Oh, Kanye is going to be mad. I don't care. I, I I don't know why we are wasting our time on interpersonal nonsense when we can connect on things that can save us. Mm. And I think that what I'm I- really interested in is trying to understand how to connect more meaningfully with a smaller number of people. And I thought the podcast might be that, and I, I've gotten unbelievable people to come through, and a lot of people have put in a lot of work and done beautiful things, and I I, I wanna thank them, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe I should do some individual episodes for that. Please but do, start, I with guess, a,
2: start with a a Hebrew astrophysicist from uh, San Diego, that episode, okay. please. But,
0: but I think that what we really need to do is to listen to each other, and that's why I've been mm-hmm. listening to, uh, and you know, actually, let me just say something really positive. When I went to the University of Chicago to lecture in the economics department, um, there was some guy on Twitter who's an economist at Yale who said, uh, wow, Eric Weinstein paid uh, to, um, <laughs> to, to lecture at Chicago. And you didn't pay me when you lectured here. I, well, the guy in the talk who was the most, like the guy who was riding me the hardest, um, this guy named Harold Ulig. And he was also the guy who the next morning was adamant that I meet with him because he wanted to actually understand, well, what is it that we've done? And I think that the biggest detractor or the biggest critic in real terms, not Twitter critic and you know, just like being a jerk, uh, is gonna end up being potentially the biggest supporter of the theory because it was an important and meaningful connection. And I think one of the things that really encouraged me was the, how serious people at Chicago are in particular, the econ department. I know that they took a lot of heat for inviting me. And I put two papers uh, up on their uh, money and banking workshop page. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, I took my wife off of one of them Hmm. because of just how nasty so-called econ Twitter is. And if you want to know why women disappear from academics, just look at the amount of bile that was spewed trying to suppress me, which didn't work. Um, I am really excited about the University of Chicago and I'm excited about the University of Austin. Yeah, they've taken some lumps and people are like, oh my God, you, you Pinker defected and Zimmer left you. And it's like, I okay, wrong. maybe, yeah. maybe it doesn't even work. But I'm excited about people who, to use the old Theodore um, Roosevelt line or the man in the arena, the people who are taking the risk to do something positive. It's not the critic that counts. And I, well, the critic a good critic is a constructive one, but now we've developed this new thing about like, well, you won't face your critics. well. No, um, it, I won't face Mike Tyson as a boxer either. You chew off one ear, you cease to become a boxer. Mm. I think that what we need is to connect, to become collegial. And what I hope to do is to figure out what I did wrong, um, not finding the right people. I think maybe take this behind a paywall, maybe take this uh, someplace which is smaller. I, I like the idea of having a large audience, yeah. but I do notice that I said in Tim Ferriss's uh, podcast that you should only want to be famous to about three thousand people right Uh, well chosen i so i think that the the thing to do is to connect and i think people like lex and by the way my brother i think was very early being public about uh the covid coming from a lab so i think that brett has tried to be very courageous he's gotten super chewed up Mm -hmm. and i think that people need to uh, defend the people who've stood up for you yep um joe stands up for you uh brett weinstein stands up for you all sorts of people are standing up for you and they're getting bloodied and so i think what i want to do is i want to connect and make these things meaningful and i think you and i uh, are going to try to figure out how do we restore the scientific process where people talk about speculations then they talk about instantiations we test the instantiations with data and theory of its own from coming from experiment And then we come to actually conclusions. And in order to do this, um, my goal is to rid the world in part of what is destroying collegiality and civility, particularly within the sciences, and then expand it from there.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I love that uh, notion of connection. In fact, uh, Lex and I spoke about this when I was on a podcast. Hopefully that'll come out in early 22. And I said, you know, the meaning of life for me is to make, to build things that would devastate you were they taken away, and I, I gave the example of you know a parent, you know once 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 you're a parent, there's an infinite number of ways that your life could be made infinitely worse, and there's a finite number of ways your your life could even be made ten percent better, right? I mean your daughter gets married or you know whatever, or you get you win the lottery and yeah you have fu money. Okay, there, as I've said before to you, you know Jim Simons only has one yacht. Okay, he's and and he's lost two children. And I think it's incredibly important to think about this kind of notion of connections are those things that even if you don't have kids, that if you envision they were taken away from you, how devastated would you be? And I think you did that with the portal and you do that. And I I think you need to, to bring it back in some incarnation or another. And not just for for personal reasons, but I do feel like you. I really
0: appreciate that, Brian. You're
2: making this deep, huge impact that that very few people can have, and I think to to those of whom much is given, much is expected, as as the good book says, and that is the you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Anyway, my friend, it is late. Uh, we've been doing this for a while. I want to ask everybody who's listening on my YouTube channel to subscribe to Eric's YouTube channel and then follow him on Twitter wherever else uh, you may find him, Clubhouse and uh, elsewhere. And if you're following Eric, if you'd give uh – give my channel a view, that would be worthwhile too. I have a uh, big, big uh, plans for my channel in the next year, as well as my educational um, uh, endeavors. And my first deployment of the first instruments in the Simons Observatory, you're not going to want to miss that, contributing to our understanding of the evolution, composition, origin of the universe, and possibly maybe other universes. We'll have to talk about that next time.
0: And you're going to be doing something with, Theorists to advance this idea of a healthy connection between theory and physics uh,
2: experiment? That's right. Yeah. So I call that the assayer project where we'll be examining using Bayesian and other inference methods to understand uh, how much credulity, how much influence, how much uh, conversation and connection that we should be making between experimentalists and theorists, and there's a tremendous amount of exciting things coming out. I've had already recorded uh, great interviews with Harry Cliff and with um, with Reinhard Gensel, winner of the Nobel, and Jocelyn Bell Burnell, who lost the Nobel Prize, about where we can go as a scientific community to best make progress with the limited amount of time, resources, energy, and so forth that we have. So for now. And
0: do think uh, on a on a cloudless night, um, about looking up at the stars and realizing that they don't know anything about Twitter or, or Instagram or Snapchat, and how many things we are now fenced out of that potentially, um, if we were able to change our physics picture, might go from being impossible or wildly improbable to doable. Uh, it doesn't have to be science fiction start dreaming again. And if you have dreams that you think might actually matter and you're a little bit worried about being too earnest, uh, in public and get over it and let me know whether or not I should bring back the podcast and what you would want to see on it and whether that's something that's important
2: to you. Yeah, leave a thumbs up on the video if you think Eric should uh, revive the, po- the portal. what you did there. <laughs> uh, yes, and for now, I'm wishing everybody a, a wonderful journey into 2022, healthy, safe end of 2021. And Eric, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And Shana Tova, Happy New Year to everybody out there. We love you all and uh, thanks for joining us on this little uh, trip around the sun for this past year and look forward to many more in the future. Good night, everyone. Brian, thanks for all you did over the last year. Yeah, I love you, Eric.
0: Bye. love you, too. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable
2: from magic. Hey, all just a simple request before you head out to the rest of your day or night. And that's to sign up for my Monday Magic Messages. These are simple, sweet, short conversations that I want to have with you. And they entail the following subjects. One is a memory. One is an appearance that I have had. One is a genius idea from around the universe of ideas that I explored. One is an image or an idea. And the last is a conversation, my podcast, or my uh, videos with the guest of Du Saman, the guest of the week. So if you'd like to do that, please go to BrianKeating.com, and there's a pop-up, and you'll get to subscribe to my mailing list, and I make it very easy to subscribe to, very easy to leave if you should want to leave, and I hope that you'll find these uh, Monday Magic messages quite interesting because as Sir Arthur C. Clarke said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I like to bring you a new perspective from the universe of into the impossible and do so with an eye towards the things that are most interesting. So I hope you'll subscribe. Again, briankeating.com. Sign up and uh, your money back if you don't like it. Of course, it doesn't cost anything. Thanks, y'all.